Happy girl. When I know which one is my father, everything will fall into place. In search. Oh, hello. I knew your mother when she was a real goer, and I was a right rebel. Of a father. We lived in Paris. Well, that's amazing. I speak French. Oh, honey, top it's a Yeah. Could you be my father? What? How dare you assume I'm straight? <laughs> Walking along the Seine, our last summer, I can see it all. Our last summer. Can you sing? Haven't you seen the movie? You'll find out later. Oh my God! I do drawing. Could you be my father? Meryl Streep. One word. Beautiful. You have to use more than one word for Meryl. One word. Alive. Well, brilliant. She made it fun. She was absolutely approachable, and she was at the, very much in the spirit of it. And I think that <clears throat> she's at the heart of why it works. No more ace to play. The winner takes it all. <laughs> the loser standing small beside the victory. That's her destiny. The winner takes it all. Oh. Nobody has had her career as a movie actress. She's done so much phenomenal work. She's, you know, an icon to us all. I think she knows that everybody's a little bit <sighs> around her. And, and then I met her, and it was easy, so easy to be around her. OK, that'll be fantastic. OK, thank you. OK, that'll, that'll really be the hero. I think that things will never be quite the same having worked with her, that she just comes with an ambition, not just for what she's doing, but for the whole project. When you think about how much you've got to take on board, playing the leading character, you know, learning all eight or nine songs, learning the choreography, it's like a masterclass. Queen, young and sweet, only 17. I did debate whether it should be this or me just fully doing the entire uh, The Winner Takes It All. 
it was those those were the two options I don't want to talk. Why don't you record that on your own time and splice <laughs> it into the episode so I don't have to listen to it? In a full studio situation. Like, go go for it. Man. I'll do, yeah. instead of like the normal thing where I do transitions between each segment, it's I'll just, just different do different lines from yeah. the So by the time out. you've listened to the full episode, you've heard my whole version. Yeah, but we'll yeah. keep introducing them as songs in the musical, but every time it'll just be another snippet of Adam <laughs> singing Literary yeah. Perfect. Um, welcome back. Uh, we, we are flying through the year. Um, can you believe it's May? Can you believe that Molly has a pH? Mm, probably mm. not quite yet. Not so the beginning close. of May. She's this is May 15th. May 15th? I yeah. may have a PhD. <gasps> she may in May. She may in May. I may in May. Um, but who's to say? We won't know till the end who's of the Who's to month. say May, May in May, you know, Keska say May in May. <laughs> Who to say? Um, RJ, how are you? Oh, it's great. Um, it's May. Sun uh, is shining. The sun is shining. Oh, uh, it's a beautiful 70. As we record this today, uh, it, it's like 77 degrees here in Chicago. So yeah, it was up to 70 in Madison, even. It was amazing. It was beautiful today. We had an ice cream cone today. Yeah, we walked That's down. That's how nice it was. Walked down to the local uh, creamery. Oh, I do know how often you two eat Johnny's ice cream because you literally <laughs> post it on Instagram every single time every, you do it. Every single time. Uh, we, we just we love her. And we Jenny, her. if you're listening, Jenny, I want to make a musical about ice Je- cream. I want to do waitress, but it's ice cream and it's called scoop. <laughs> Scooper. Scooper. <laughs> Is there a term for people who scoop ice cream like baristas? Like barista. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. You worked at an ice cream shop. I did, but I think that we were just called like servers or whatever. Ice cream servers. Employees. <laughs> yeah. We were, I, we I were do, called the workers. Yeah. Scooper. I do like scoopers. Scoopers. There's a there's a there's a dog poop connotation with it, though. That's, That's the problem. I'll I'll workshop it. Well, when we yeah, when we're in workshops for the Jenny's right at musical. La Mama Experimental Theater. Yeah, company. absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, all makes sense. <laughs> Molly, this week you have the challenge to summarize the substantial plot that is Mama Mama Mia. Um, are you up to the task? I hope so. Okay, your time starts now. Bride Sophie finds her mother's diary from the summer that Sophie was conceived and decides to invite the three men that her mother had flings with that summer, Sam, Harry, and Bill, to her wedding so that her father can walk her down the aisle, an insane decision. Donna's friends and former bandmates Rosie and Tanya arrive to celebrate the wedding as well. The three men arrive and separately come to the conclusion that they are Sophie's father. Donna thinks that Sophie is feeling overwhelmed due to cold feet about the wedding, but Sophie reveals she is upset about not knowing her dad. Mm. Tanya then hooks up with a bartender. Donna and Sophie make up, and Sophie asks her mother to give her away. At the altar, Donna confesses she doesn't know who Sophie's father is and finally realizes that that's why they're there and Sophie invited them. The men then decide that they don't want to do a paternity test, but instead to just share the role of being Sophie's father. Sophie, who apparently only wanted to get married to finally have an excuse to meet her dad, postpones her wedding to travel the world with her fiancé instead. Sam proposes to and marries Donna on the spot. Bill hooks up with Rosie. Harry hooks up with a hot waiter. And we all exclaim, Mamma Mia! In Greece. Amazing. 
That was incredible. Very good. Um, very well thought out, well planned, well curated. Every small subplot was touched upon. Touched you know. upon. Yeah. Um, great. RJ. We uh, didn't we didn't even mention the original name of this episode, which was Mama Maya, aka Mama May I Watch Mama Mia this May. Yeah, RJ <laughs> yeah. came up with that one. Happy, the- Happy Mother's Day, by the way. Is that and why Happy we're Mother's doing it, right? Day, yes. Happy Mother's Day to Nan. Happy Mother's Day to Rita. Rita. Happy, Happy Mother's, Mother's Day, Day to Joy. Who will Joy. never hear this episode. Joy will never listen to this, but she is here in spirit because she loves Mamma Mia. Yeah. We want all mothers to have a great Mother's Day, regardless of whether or not they listen to show. And games. the greatest mother of all, Mary. Little Streep. <laughs> Mary Little <laughs> <Will> Streep. <laughs> Um, RJ, what is your, I feel like you've told me that your family really liked ABBA, but does that mean they liked Mamma Mia? So, uh, yes, growing up, my family loved ABBA. Uh, ABBA. 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 They, we had the ABBA gold collection on cassette. Uh, they had multiple videos of their concerts. Like the ABBA was the soundtrack to the Silva childhood experience, I will say. Equal parts ABBA, equal parts Carpenters, equal parts uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Those were like the oh. three main. So we were very 70s, 70s heavy 70s. Uh, in the Rita household. hates the Carpenters. So. <laughs> My mom also does not like the Carpenters. Oh, wow. You I don't it's believe. like the one band that she can name as like actively not that one. That's the one I know I do not like. I'm curious. As- you know what's funny is I have this Christmas, this past Christmas, I really got into the Carpenter's Christmas album because I was like, oh. it's just so plain. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Darling. Yeah. Ugh, so good. <laughs> anyway, not about this. Gone too soon. Karen Carpenter, this one's for you. Um, so we had a yeah, we were obsessed with ABBA. I remember when Mamma Mia came out, I, 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 we had like a DVD copy of it. Like my mom loved it, but mm-hmm. I never saw it. I was just like, I think I just like was kind of culturally aware, pop, pop culture aware, not like Filipino culture, like pop culturally aware that it was like fine. Like it wasn't like amazing, but it was like kind of. I don't know. Like it was just like the movie or yeah, the movie, the okay, movie. Okay. like cheesy. Um, mm-hmm. And it wasn't until the second movie came out. Mamma Mia, here we go again. But I was like, OK, I think it's finding time I watch Mamma Mia. And Adam was like, OK, let's do it. So that was the first time I ever saw Mamma Mia was right before we watched Mamma Mia, Mamma Mia, here we go again. So that was like, what, 2017, 2018, 2018, 2018. Uh, but yeah, so my breadth of knowledge is definitely more ABBA focused than uh, Donna focused, Donna and the Dynamo focused. So what about you? Uh, what about you, Molly? You can go me, Adam, next. That's fine. Um, so I saw a non-equity non-equ- tour production of Mamma Mia when I was young. I want to say it had to be like 2003 or four. So 12-ish. 
And I don't remember anything about it. I just remember that it was like, I don't even think I knew, like I, I didn't have that knowledge of like, ah, it's Greece. Like I didn't get that at all. So I probably just thought it was like Italy or whatever, but I knew it was like a sunny vacationy spot. And I knew it was music that I had never heard before because somehow I had missed ever hearing ABBA. And um, I thought it was fine. And I literally can't remember anything else about it other than like kind of the bare bones. Like there's a daughter and three dads. I think I remember like that much. Um, And then I saw the movie when it came out because we were in high school and I hated it um hated the movie like i would like be like mama me is one of the worst musicals i've ever seen <laughs> that was like very my energy it was that and nine those were like the two yeah the, the two nine was, was also like. very bad but i i love nine yeah and then we watched it <laughs> we watched it again when I, I i watched it again with rj when it was his first time watching it when mama me here we go again came out and I was like, this is a little better than I remember, but I still think it's got its issues. And then this time I was like, I'm all in. This is one of the best movies I've ever seen. Um, this is serotonin. Um, this is an antidepressant. And that's important. Yeah. Take two. Take two Mamma Mia's in the morning. Yeah. Two Mamma Mia's and you're good to go. And you're good to go. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, I still have like issue. I don't think it's like perfect, but I do think it's like aware of what it is, which I, it was very important to me. Molly, I have a feeling that you do not like Mamma Mia. What is your history with this property? I want to start my relationship by apologizing to the community because <laughs> I this know how showgaze. important ABBA is to the gay community, which uh, is absolutely yes. You know, who are serving in this podcast. <laughs> um, I don't like ABBA. I've tried to like ABBA. I cannot like ABBA. Mm -hmm. I don't like disco. Mm, I just, that's, I think that's the key. I don't want to listen to any music that was produced between, I'm going to say 1954 and 1995. Anything in between that entire span. I would say that covers a lot more than disco, but yes. No, it does. But disco is right in the middle of it, too. So it's like the peak of what I'm not interested in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I first saw this movie in high school um, because I grew up in Minnesota. A lot of my friends had cabins. So in high school, Mm. we had like a girls weekend where we all went to my friend's cabin together. And we went into town and we saw this movie and all of my friends loved it. And I did not and then they wanted to listen to the music for like the rest of the weekend and i had to like awkwardly nod along while everybody thought like molly's the musical person surely she's loving this and i (laughs) i just couldn't i just don't understand the music and let me say this it's not because it's meaningless i love meaningless pop i was a kesha fan long before it was cool to like kesha okay absolutely like love meaningless pop music i just tonally like musically aesthetically do not understand why people like this music so i am very apathetic towards this movie as a whole Uh, 
I guess let so before we get into like the movie, we have to like talk about ABBA. Is it ABBA or ABBA? Should I say ABBA? I think it's ABBA. Is there a right answer? Because it's a, I mean, it's. I'm going to say ABBA. It's their initial, so it doesn't really matter. That's true. So. Um, ABBA. ABBA. <laughs> um, ABBA, they were formed in 1972. Uh, its members are. Here we go. <laughs> Agnetha Faltzkog, Bjorn Uveus, Benny Anderson, got that one, and Annie Frid Lingstad. Um, three of them are Swedish. One of them is Norwegian. I did not bother looking up which one was Norwegian, um, but they're all Scandinavian. Uh, and two of them were married. They were each married to each other. That's the, not the right way to say that. Agnetha and Bjorn were married and Benny and Annie Frid were married. Um, so, uh, they formed in 72, but they won Eurovision in 74 with Waterloo. Waterloo. Okay. That's Waterloo. So then they like rode the wave until 82 and they had like hit after hit after hit. They were mostly, they were like biggest hit in Australia. It was like their biggest place that they, uh, were a smash success or whatever but they were they were pretty consistently like on the top of the charts not number one but um like in the top 10 on all the like english-speaking markets the whole time they broke up in 82 their marriage is dissolved um it's actually very sad toward the end of their like time together they're because they were having all these problems with their relationships their lyrics started to become more like um, frustrated and serious and all that stuff. Um, the program in 92 uh, was Abba Gold when they had their compilation, which was like a huge resurgence because it like was one of the highest comp- highest selling compilation CDs like ever made or whatever. Um, and then in 99, Mamma Mia opens in the West End. In 2008, Mamma Mia, the movie happens. Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again happens in 2018. And then after 40 years, they remake, they make, uh, in 2021, they make Voyage, which is their newest album, which came out last year. And then this year, they have like a, a run in London called ABBA Voyage. And it's like a, I don't even know how to explain it. It's like they're concerts, but they're virtual, but they're not. And they're, they're called avatars. It's their, oh. They are holograms that right. are projected into the space. So the concert is live and that it's a live audience that all has to gather in this one particular location. But what they're watching are holograms of. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so that's that's the like quickest way I can sum up ABBA. Um, first, uh, just for some accolades. Um, they apparently estimated record sales are between 150 and 385 million in the span of their time together. Um, they were the first group from a non-English speaking country to achieve consistent success in English speaking charts, such as the UK, US, Ireland, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, club, another club. Um, <laughs> they are the best selling band originating in continental Europe. Which I always forget that technically they're like I'm the like channel I always think is like they're they're it's like a big island basically. 
for the Scandinavian countries. Like I forget that Russia connects. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense what I'm saying? I do understand what you're saying, but that's so funny because it would never occur to me to think of them as not in mainland Europe. Yeah. So it's just interesting your brain does that. I think it's also because they're so everything like about that area is so uh, Viking heavy. So I just think of them as like a seafaring people because they were like an island. So they had to go another place. I don't know. They again are not an island in any way, but yeah. Famously I- not. Famously, in <laughs> fact, not an island. Uh, coastal. Coastal. Sweden. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Um, and then <laughs> they were, they joined the rock and joined. They were inducted, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2010. They are the first and only artist to receive this recognition outside of Anglo- Anglophone countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 2015, the Grammy, the Recording Academy uh, added Dancing Queen to the Grammy Hall of Fame. Um, I, I also, I did some research on ABBA because shockingly, I couldn't find any academic articles referring to either ABBA or the musical Mamma Mia. No one's decided there's scholarly interest in the topic. That's just surprising because I feel like there's a bit with like feminine, like a feminist lens that you could like view this movie and also like just like the how the allusions to like Greek theater that you could like obviously at least draw like academic parallels to. Yeah, I was also surprised. I found some some like uh, journalism about its prominence in the gay scene, but not mm-hmm. like any academic sure. work. And I feel like that could be good. Just so if anybody's like looking for a PhD topic, maybe look into it. Um, so just adding though onto the museum thing, also in 2008 because of the resurgence due to this movie coming out, ABBA mm-hmm. finally agreed to open their own museum in Stockholm. Like there was oh. people who were asking them to open a museum and they had resisted, but it was like the resurgence in 2008 that made them say like, okay, fine, yeah, we'll do this. And now there's a museum for them in Stockholm as well. I would visit that. That'd be fun. I also learned two fun facts about ABBA while I was reading about them today. So they, they're known for like those costumes. They're like mm-hmm. Luke's absolute turning Luke's in the seventies. And apparently they were so crazy because they, they, the, the Swedish like um, tax law in order to do a tax write-off on like apparel for like work or whatever mm-hmm. is it has to be like, it can, you can only do it for this one specific thing. So like in order to prove that they were never going to wear oh. this in real life, that, that's why they were so crazy. Yeah. Which I thought article- was like, funny because i think yeah, a lot article- of americans would think like oh europe that's what europeans do like those crazy europeans and that was not happening <laughs> the article i read about it said i don't know if this is the the wording in the law but it says mm-hmm. the tax deduction only applies if it's too outlandish to be worn in the street which i love as a metric that's yeah. great um and then the other thing i found out was abba so they they were like adults, like adults, adults when they like became famous. Like it wasn't like they were like 18 and they were like, LOL, whatever. Like they were already like in their mid to late 20s by the time they like got popular. So they like had families and stuff. Hmm. So they didn't do a, like a lot of concerts. And the, he uh, I think Anderson said that they probably only did 100 concerts in the entire 10 years. They were like a band and um, which isn't that many, especially now when you think about how artists like only make well, money from yeah they'll tour yeah yeah um but they didn't do a bunch of stuff and then uh they didn't really like flying and one of the members i don't remember who it was was like very nerd like a very 
scared flyer and had kids at home and didn't want to leave them for a ton of time. Mm. So their manager was like, well, we should like film. We should just film you guys. So at least we can like get you out in other markets because it's easy. Like with the new with people having televisions, like we can easily like just film you like singing and throw it out there. So like they are referred to as one of the first like music fit like their stuff mm. is like one of the earliest forms of like music videos which is like crazy yeah because they do I, they also do the all the effects where it's like a face on a face with a like swipes and like fades in and out it's mama mia yeah Profile. i will say i appreciate all of these impacts that they've had on the the musical realm and every time i read an article about like all the artists who were influenced by them i tend to like although it's like uh, Lil Nas X and like Kylie Minogue and whatever. Yes. Um, so like I really appreciate their outlandishness. Even though like when I read that thing about their costumes, then I went and looked up some of their music videos. And I will say like by today's standards, it's not exactly. Oh God, what are you wearing in this music video? I mean, right? Because music videos you associate with people wearing stuff that you would never mm-hmm. wear right. in your regular life, right? Um, so yeah, I feel like. I, I love the aesthetics and the idea of it, but it's kind of actually the same. This I'm going to really piss off the community here. It's kind of the same way that I feel about Lady Gaga. We're yeah. like, Jesus, all in the same episode. All in one ep- I'm, Thank God this I'm isn't coming out in June. Good Lord. Um, I'm like Bo and Yang in that SNL skit where he tweets out the It's Gets Better skit where he then he tweets out something about Kyle Ray Jackson's music being just okay and he yes. has to move cities because he gets bullied so hard by other days. Um, Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, the way that I feel about Lady Gaga is like, I really appreciate her as like a dramatic presence in the world, but I do not like her music. Like I almost never do I hear one of her songs that I'm like, yeah, that absolutely. I just kind of like her vibe more than I actually like Mm. the stuff she makes. Yeah. I mean, that is very interesting. I've always thought about that, just like pop music in general. Like it really is just people's personal tastes because like, yeah, like I can appreciate like what a specific like person is doing. And like, in theory, I would be into it. But like, sometimes it just doesn't like I just I for I will I'm not a Taylor Swift person like that music just does not connect with me at all. Even though I know she's a great songwriter, like I know her impact, but just nothing clicks. (laughs) So I I kind of I I understand like where you're where you come from about But even like when you compared it to like Kesha, it's like, yeah, I also love Kesha. But like you would think that like that kind of like I can appreciate Kesha music could translate into like a Gaga or an ABBA. But sometimes it just doesn't, you know? Yeah. I would love to tell even more since I've um, fully offended the community now to talk a little more about how I'm I'm ready to air my grievances. (laughs) No, 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 no. No, I want to talk about its its impact in the gay community during the AIDS crisis. Oh, yeah. yeah. Try to backpedal. Redeem yourself. To redeem myself. I know the history, okay? (laughs) So, um,. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, so ABBA was like never cool. I also read about how in Sweden it was also like they weren't very cool because mm. Sweden's very egalitarian and they were very commercial. So Swedes were like, this is not our gig. We're not oh, into it. Yeah. Interesting. But so they lost, they were like popular but uncool for a long time. And then they kind of lost the popular part even when like disco died. Mm-hmm. So in the 80s, that was when the gay clubs like, took ABBA and I was even reading stuff about how even in the 
70s, the gay clubs weren't really into ABBA, but it was like after they weren't cool anymore, then there were some DJs who like took their stuff and started remixing it. Mm-hmm. And it became this like really central part of the scene. And the article I read talked about how, which was written by Walters. I didn't write down his first name. I'm pretty sure it was a guy. Um, they wrote about how if you look at ABBA's music, there's like always something a little bit contradictory about it and a little bit like dancing through pain, kind of a Sia situation, mm-hmm. yes. but but a lot more fun. But fun, and so, exactly. <laughs> and so at that time, where like a lot of the activism was around like, we're going to keep dancing and appreciating mm-hmm. life, even as like death is very present for our community, that it like mm. really spoke to that period. Very Jamie. Um, he mm. also talked about how the gender equity of the group is very appealing for the gays. That in the quote was being strong women and sensitive men who love and respect each other is central to the group's alchemy as well as to, to its enduring LGBTQ appeal. This is who we are too and how we want the world to be. And I thought that was really sweet Aww. and beautiful. We love that. It also talked about how um, it's a big. It's like, I think Mamma Mia is the song that's at the end of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. There's like an ABBA song is like the Mm -hmm. end of that. It's big in Muriel's Wedding, which I noted as like maybe another future showgaze movie. I don't know if it's like all a musical, but I know there's like an ABBA musical number. So it could be, Mm. I don't know, could be a Patreon episode or something. Um, So that there was this research. So this is around like the late 80s, early 90s where the way that ABBA had like maintained in these like marginalized queer communities then got like re-highlighted in these movies. And then they kind of like got a little bit more of a mainstream renaissance at that time as well. But it was mm-hmm. the gays who kept them alive in the meantime. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, now that transitions actually really well into the musical because the musical, so um, the musical opens in 99 in the West End. Um, and then it opens on Broadway in 2001. So I, I have a theory. This mu- this musical, which is the ninth longest running Broadway show of all time, wow. is the still running in the West End. So it's the sixth longest running West End show of all time. Um, specifically about the Broadway one for America, it opened two weeks after 9-11. And there's something that I think this musical is very aware of like what it is and what it's trying to do. And like, it isn't, it's just there to be fun. And I think there is something like, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of jukebox musicals. I think they don't always work. And I think more often than not, they actually don't work. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, I think this one works better than most. And I think a lot of musicals, jukebox, jukebox musicals, which for those who, I, I should have said this, but ju- a jukebox musical is musical in which, a jukebox musical is a musical in which either like all the songs are um, by a specific artist and the story is like, has has nothing to do with the artists themselves. They just are using that artist's music to like create their own story, um, which is like what this is. Or like a Jersey Boys style where it's all Jersey Boys music, but it's also about them. So it's more of like a biopic jukebox musical or you can do like a Moulin Rouge where like every song is just like a popular song from the radio and they're all just kind of covers, but there's like an, an original story kind of like trying to intertwine them all together. Um, those are like the three classic versions, I would say. Um, yeah, it's actually kind of funny now that you lay it out that way, how 
liberally we apply that term. It feels like we should have more specific terms for those yeah. three things, yeah. Yeah. but jukeboxes applied to all three. Um, but I think this one works really well for a lot of reasons because I think it's just like fun and is light and like maintains that pretty much throughout the whole thing. So you don't have to like, you, there's no like fake like oh let's be sad there's no like big heavy drama moment even even though there is like a dramatic number there's no like big cloud hanging over the atmosphere of the show like you never feel like these characters it's a it's a comedy like it's such a comedy mm -hmm. um but i think also it being the show that opened right after 9 11 helped like buoy like ev how everyone felt and it's such a nostalgia piece for people who are like from who like lived through the disco era and like remember like the height of ABBA and stuff like that. So I think that kind of like helped propel it along for a while. Mm. Um, that's just my theory. I didn't. I'm nobody. That would be your so PhD. It's my PhD. Um, anyway, so the music and lyrics are by Benny Anderson and Bjorn Alveus. Um, I don't know if you know this, but they wrote Chess, which is a, another musical that has never been made into a movie, but. Um, I did not know that. And I was like, oh, whoa. So that's what they like did after they like broke up or whatever. And I've never um, seen chess, but it's not like good times, poppy. Throughout, no, it's right? like yeah. serious, almost like Jekyll and Hyde in vibe where it's like very epic music because it's like discussing. Yeah, it's like Cold a, War. It's closer to like a <sighs> I don't want to say a rock opera because that's kind of. But it's, it's kind of that. But it is like more more way more dramatic than this for sure yeah. um the book is by katherine johnson who got into a little bit of hot water Ooh. um there's a movie from 1968 called buonasera mrs campbell <gasps> um it is a movie about an italian woman who has a daughter uh and she has she had uh sexual she had sexual intercourse. I know. Um, sexual congress. Sexual relations <laughs> yeah. with that three woman. Gentlemen. Yeah. Three out of wedlock. Three like GIs during the American occupation of Italy. And mm. um, they all come back and like the plot of the thing is like to try to figure out who the father is. And so some critics of the original musical were like. I think you stole this. Now, in in Catherine Johnson's defense, I feel like that is very specific. And I'm not trying to say that that's not specific. And maybe she did pull it. And I don't know. But I also feel like the idea of like finding out who your parents are and there being three. Like, I think a lot of these are just like tropes that it's yeah. just like insert yeah, trope uh, here. It feels a little like saying like uh, Shakespeare stole Romeo and Juliet because like people have done star-crossed lovers before. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. When it's yeah, that yeah. abstract of a story, you can't really steal it. Right. Their one thing, though, was like, <laughs> apparently they were like, they they moved it to Greece because it was if it was set in Italy, Mamma Mia would make sense, but then it would be too close to Bonacera, Mrs. Campbell. <laughs> and I was like, well, because well, Mamma Mia like is not a Greek phrase. I no, don't know. But if I mean, the song already existed, to be fair. Yeah. 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 Um. It feels like it feels like they must have known that Bonacera existed and chosen not to set it in Italy for some reason. That's the like sus part of it. Mm -hmm. But I don't feel like that means that they necessarily watched that movie and were like, let's steal that plot. But yeah. like they knew to avoid it. Yeah. But also like 
again, but like so much of it is just ABBA music. So to be like, you didn't make that up when ABBA was in, was the one (laughs) doing the composing. You know what I mean? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, so Felita Lloyd, who directed the movie, also directed the musical. Oh, um, both in the West End and the uh, Broadway production, obviously. Oh, wow. So I think this is the first time in Shogay's history where like Person. the same director has done the the stage adaptation and the, the film adaptation. I think for, wasn't Jamie, wasn't it the same? Or it was like the choreographer of the stage show directed it? The director was someone who was like involved in the stage show from my recollection. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I think he went from choreo to director. Mm, maybe I'll cut that part out. <laughs> maybe I will do some post post edits. Um, but I thought that was interesting. And also, this is our second woman. Yes. Whoever directed two women, you guys. Two we women. Did it. Well, we did it. And both movies have Christine Baranski. Mm. Christine Baranski is our first alum, I think, of the show, right? Like someone who was in a previous movie. No, no we've had Wait, a lot. on this run. Oh, uh, yeah. On this run. Because we also had Christine in the first season. We had Christine and we had Julie. And um, Meryl. Meryl was in the first season, Into the Woods. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, in this season, I think it is Christine. If we're not counting Alex, the the So You Think You Can Dance uh, ensemble member who has been in like four of the movies that we've seen. Okay, first major <laughs> character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's I right. think it's Christine, yeah. Congrats Congratulations. Christine. Congratulations, Congratulations Christine Baranski. You are the winner. We're going to send you an award and hopefully you'll send us a video back. You have won a tip of $5,000. Dollars. Um, Powered by Cash App. <laughs> um, anyway. We'll send so, her a plaque. So at the Tonys, <laughs> this was nominated for Best Musical, Best Book, Best Performance by Leading Actress, by Performance. Best performance by a featured actress and best orchestrations. It did not win any of them. So the movie, as I said, is directed by Felita Lloyd. I love the name Felita. It seems like a disease or an infliction. Um, and the, inf- the affliction is fun. Oh, yeah. Affliction, not infliction. (laughs) Infliction, I don't believe, is a word. I don't think it is, but I'd love to know what it means. (laughs) Inflict inflict me some knowledge about this movie, Adam. The screenplay is uh, also with Katherine Johnson, who did the book for the musical. Um, It is produced by Judy Kramer and Gary Goatsman. Uh, It stars Meryl Streep as Donna, Pierce Brosnan as Sam, Colin Firth as Harry, Stellan Skarsgård as Bill, Julie Walters is Rosie, Dominic Cooper is Skye, Amanda Seyfried is Sophie, and Christine Baranski is Tanya. Tanya. Um, The cinematography is by Harris Zambarlukos, which is a Greek name. Uh, It is edited by Leslie Walker. The music is by Benny and Bjorn. The production companies are Relativity Media, Little Star Productions, Playtone Polar Music. It was distributed by Universal, which I think makes Universal our most watched distributor in this revival of Showcase as well. Hmm. Um, it was, We'll send Universal a, a plaque as well. It opened, I'm going to say specifically for America, it opened on July 18th, 
2008. Its running time is 109 minutes. Um, its budget was 52 million, and it it made 611.3 million dollars. Oh it is the oh fifth God. highest grossing film of 2008. Wow. Do you know how much of that was U.S. box office versus international? I didn't look at that. No. I'm just curious because it's so music heavy. If part of its success is that it was probably easy to export to other countries. Sure. Um, I mean it. Let me look real quick. Hold on. Box. Hold please. While we hold data verifying. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, Domestic. Oh, oh, okay. Domestic is 144, 1 million and international was 467. Wow. So, but I don't know what the normal ratio is. Yeah. So that doesn't actually help. Um, but congrats to congrats to the world. Congrats to Miss Mama. Congrats to Mama. <laughs> um, so other the other movies that in okay. Top five the opening weekend for the United States domestic box office. Number five was Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. Uh, number four was Journey to the Center of the Earth, a movie I, the, again, I movies I just don't recall happening. Yeah, I don't no. remember them redoing Journey to the Center of the Earth. Uh, I think it was um, wasn't the Hunger Games boy in that? The little Peter? one? Peter? Peter or Pettifer? What is I his name? Peter. Josh? Josh, sounds correct. Hutchinson. Hutchinson. Very good. We got there together. Number three was Hancock, which I remember this one. That's the Will Smith, the Will Smith. Uh, superhero movie. Mm-hmm. Um, number two was Mamma Mia. That was its highest point in its box office was number two. And The Dark Knight was number one. Crazy to Crazy think. Crazy to think. The same time as The Dark Knight. Yeah. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. Truly, what a weekend to see those two together. Yeah. Well, girls' night, boys' night. Yeah, dads see dark night, dads or Hellboys, or, or Journey to the City Earth, or Hancock, and only women see Mama Mia. Only women and closeted sons see Mama Mia. Yeah. Um, at the for the awards consideration for the film, uh, this movie was nominated at the Golden Globes for best motion picture musical or comedy, and Meryl. This was Meryl Streep's like run at the run Golden Globes Glo- where it was guaranteed Every year she was nominated for she someone. had the Golden Globe she was nominated yes. for Best Actress okay. I think this was one year or two years after Devil Wears Prada which like re-kick-started that whole like that that uh oh I think this was two years after Devil Wears Prada because I think it was Devil Wears Prada it's complicated then this and then some other stuff later Anyway, yeah, so she did Devil Wears Prada and then a bunch of stuff that wasn't worth anything, basically, is what happened. We let her ride Devil Wears Prada for a long time. Yeah, until she was like, I'm ready to be an actress again, capital A, and did Iron Lady. Julie and Julia, that was also in this time. I think 2009 is Julie and Julia. Yeah. Um, And then at the Golden Raspberry Awards, um, (gasps) Worst Supporting Actor went to Pierce Brosnan. Oh, Oh. most probably because of the singing. I'm guessing I have a compilation of things people said about his singing. Oh, no. I mean, the singing was very bad, but it's not like the acting was good in compare. You know what I mean? Like it was less noticeably bad, but it's not as if, oh, people aren't appreciating the amazing performance. Yeah, also, it's not like because you could compare it to like the Russell 
um, the Russell Crowe, the Russell Crowe, Crow, Les Mis, but at least it's like he's performing a a very high stakes role. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just watched at YouTube just recommended to me the rehearsal of the Les Mis cast for the Academy Awards mm-hmm. and seeing everyone else in that room, like know what they're doing and being and then Russell gets Russell Crowe and he's like desperately trying to keep in time with the music and figure out and he's like, and he's so clearly lost and I've never felt so bad for a movie star in my life. that He's just like, <laughs> so f- he's just in this room so full of competent people and knows that he can. Yes. Not keep up with them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll talk. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um. We'll so pick- let's talk about my favorite aspect, which is casting. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Sam, who is played by Pierce Brosnan, he could have been Bill Nye. Actually, Bill Nye was considered Bill Nye. Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> you really got to hit that extra syllable. Bill Nye. <laughs> yeah. N i g h y. Bill. 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 It was gonna be Bill Nye, the science guy. Um. He actually was just considered for any of the three male roles, but um, I added in there. The everyman. The everyman. He will play all three characters. Uh, Davy Jones and his locker. Um, also for Sam, Donny Osmond and Antonio Banderas. Um, uh, I don't, at least Donny can sing, but I feel like there's no like 2008 star power. What's there with Donny Osmond? You know what I mean? That had to be like a rollover from some like theater person being like, he's so good in Joseph. In the filmed Joseph. Oh, that and has also to be. like is like Stellan Starsgard is like regarded, but he's not like a star. You know, like I don't think anyone was like, I gotta see the Stellan Starsgard joint when they went to see Mamma Mia. I don't know if any of the men were really driving the the fact that in the like the way that this movie is credited in which Stellan Skarsgård is ahead of Christine Baranski just it's tells you what of, a wild time we were. I, in. I had, I noticed that too, but then the thing mm-hmm. underneath it is the actress who played like his PA or something. So it's clearly an order of appearance. It's not an order of mm-hmm. importance. I don't think that's true. Cause I think Meryl's right. first. We got to look up. We got to look up Mama Mia opening or closing credits. <laughs> We got to fact check this in the moment. In the moment. Mama. Mia. Mama, Mia. Mama, Mia. Uh, cast, cast, all cast. In credits order, Amanda Seyfried, Sophie, Stellan is Bill, Pierce is Sam. Oh, yeah, I guess that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Christine is last. But I felt like Meryl was first in the I guess I in the like in the opening or in the opening and like closing like the like title card ones. I think okay, wait. Yes, because I'm reviewing that. I'm looking at the video. So there's like they do dancing queen and then mm-hmm. they like yes, do yes, names yes. on top yep. of the video and then mm-hmm. there's like the Scroll the scrolling of the credits. Scrolling. And I thought you were talking about the scroll, but you're talking about within I'm the talking music about the title video? cards. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, then that's unconscionable. <laughs> but I think it's because this is like the pre Christine Renaissance. Like her last thing she had done was like Chicago and um, not the last thing she'd done, obviously, but it wasn't like she had done Chicago and she had done um, uh, Grinch. 
and those were like in chicago she was the reporter Oh, so she's like a, she's seen like as like a player, yeah, like an ensemble player, yeah, yeah. Which is just weird to me. I knew. She, I also think if the movie was made today, she would be even higher than Julie Walters. And Julie, I think is, so. Yeah, Julie's an yeah. Academy Award nominated actress. So a dame, go off, queen. Um. Anyway, Tanya could have been Cher, which is wild, wild. wild. Because in the sequel, she is Meryl Streep's mother. mother. <laughs> Crazy. Who is a very uh, never named role in this cat in this movie. They're, but she's alluded to, but she's not. She's, yes. Yeah. And she's I, I haven't Trauma. seen the sequel. So in is it's all in flashback, though, right? Or it's all it's all a prequel to this. So she is parts are in prequel. It she is, is both. not. It's both prequel and sequel. Yeah. It's oh, real- so she is, genre she is bending. also playing a woman old enough to be Meryl Streep's mother currently. Uh, yes. Absolutely. Gotcha. With the yeah. face that she has. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Um, Sophie <laughs> could have been Mandy Moore, Amanda Bynes, okay. Rachel McAdams, Emmy Rossum, Kira Knightley. Okay. I think I only like Rachel McAdams on that list as for Sophie. I mean, I feel sad mm. when I hear Amanda Bynes' name because I loved her so much yeah. as a child. And the Real way that tough. her life went downhill is very, very sad to me. So it makes me wish it were her because I wish that I lived in a universe in which her star she, like, continued, continued to rise. Yeah. yeah. I think Mandy Moore would have been great too. Yeah, Mandy Moore has the Sophie energy of like yeah, for sure. a little neurotic. When Not neurotic, tangled, but just like... When did Tangled come out? 2010, right? Mm-hmm. And she was probably like, what, in her like mid late 20s by then? She had to be because she made Princess Diaries in like 03. And she's probably like 23 in that. So maybe she's like 28 in this and around this time. I have no idea how old Mandy Moore is. Because I was going to say. Not old to be playing the age that she is playing on This Is Us. I'll say that. Yeah. Say that. Because I was going to say like maybe she was she would have been too old for Sophie. But I also am like, I think I mean, Seyfried technically was maybe too old, but just played. I mean, Amanda Seyfried will always play a teenager. Yeah, it's crazy. Can we talk about how Amanda Seyfried is the most successful cast member in Mean Girls? And would you ever have guessed when you watched Mean Girls for the first time that Karen would be the most successful? I probably would have said that it was Rachel McAdams. Oh, you know, you would have said it's Lindsay Lohan. That was like peak when Lindsay's career was like yeah because at least she she was also like I'm also a pop star so like there were like avenues yeah yeah but Rachel McAdams you know she got and Rachel McAdams has continued to have a career I mean she's not done poorly or anything she definitely did more like she has MCU money she's got MCU money she did she got an Academy Award nomination for uh she's in an Academy Award winning film best picture she's in Spotlight but I still think Amanda Seyfried is more famous than Rachel McAdams I think so she had like bigger right now in time yes she had like bigger roles and bigger flashier movies I think I really want to watch I really want to watch the dropout. I've heard but, it's great. Um, yeah. I'm not on Hulu right now. I just, oh, I got it. Yeah, you're on your yeah. Hulu uh, break. The entire movie, we just kept making uh, Elizabeth Holmes, Sophie Oops, jokes. Yeah. And then I was like, <laughs> these won't play on the pod. So, oh, well. But people will love it. I mean, at this point, the dropout is finished. I don't know. <laughs> people are listening In to May, this. On May 15th? Has to be. Because it's only a limited run. 
they're not they're not uh they're not just releasing it in one binge it's it's a week by week oh it's a week by i think it's a i I don't know i'm asking you i I think hulu does week by week yeah because hands handmaids was they mostly do week by week but we we kept what a fascinating conversation (laughs) that none of our listeners care about donna Donna could have been donna could have been olivia newton john (gasps) michelle pfeiffer dinny nicole kidman (gasps) okay uh definitely michelle pfeiffer would be a wow first of all grease and grease to sandy that's crazy yeah but olivia newton john i yeah. mean oh my god she yeah. already can like sing like a european pop star you it's know what i mean crazy. like she already sing yeah. she already has the abba I, voice i would like abba right now if olivia newton john had been in this movie <laughs> <laughs> i would be a supporting person uh i would be supporting the community and the disco movement right she is now <laughs> truly the only person who i think could could teach me how to love disco um well we'll have to watch xana you should listen to her music she had disco music girl yeah, but I wanted to like be in a movie about it, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. yeah, is Xanadu that that should be on the list? That should be on the list. It, should it be has to list. be because it was one of the it's best also selling. Greek. <gasps> there you go. It was one of the best selling like albums from a movie, yeah. like in history, yeah. despite mm-hmm. being a lauded flop. as a, a full flop, like a terrible yeah. movie. Yeah, so. and also like it's like very ABBA like in that it's like popular but very uncool yeah there's something interesting about disco and being pop wildly popular and wildly uncool at the same time it almost feels like maybe we should have left disco to like as after it died it's like just give disco to the gays well, okay first of all <laughs> i need to address something disco didn't die disco was killed disco so, was yeah. killed let's be very clear by ronald reagan well and nancy reagan well throat goat herself nancy <laughs> <Reagan>. <laughs> Rita, close your ears. I've never heard that term before. I'm sure you didn't just make it up, but oh my God. Do you know why? Do you know why? I know. I know what you're referring to in terms of the story about her, but I've never heard. I won't even repeat it. I've never heard that term used before. For those who have no idea, is that Nancy Reagan, while she was a star in Hollywood, supposedly was very good at performing certain service on men on men congrats to her it was Um, it was marlon brando and (laughs) jesus marlon brando and nancy reagan just every couple (laughs) and then rosie this one's weird rosie could have been don french who you probably don't know um she's a british actress she's a comedian um, she is most famously, I think her biggest movie is probably Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, where she replaced the original port, uh, fat lady portrait. Mm. So she's the one who's like, oh, double my voice. <laughs> um, but she was like originally cast in the role. And then she can't really sing that well, I guess. And um, just start playing a, an opera singer. But they were like, oh, we're going to make Rosie super fat. And her whole thing is she's going to eat. And she was like, I don't, I don't this. know. I, this isn't for me. And then she like later wrote like a memoir and she was like, she said she only wanted to do the movie. She doesn't like ABBA. She was like, I only wanted to do it because Meryl Streep was in it, which is the same thing Pierce Brosnan said. Wow. Well, good for this actress to be like, I don't want to do that because I don't like that where you're taking this character. Yeah, she was in The Vicar of Dibley for those who are British TV fans. 
and I guess also absolutely fabulous. So she's an ab fab alum. That's it. That'll get the gaze. All right. That's all the background I have. We're an hour in. Let's get into it. Oh, my God. We're an hour in. So, okay, so Mamma Mia um, is a movie that I don't think is like a great movie, but it is a movie in which I have a lot of fun while watching it. And I think that's, you know, no one gets mad that a Fast and the Furious movie is not Macbeth, even though it is. Um, No one gets mad at that. And I think this movie is like very aware of what it is, what it's giving, what it's supposed to do. And I think that's fine. I think... The some of the backlash was because at this point Meryl Streep was like, oh, she's a prestige actress, which is funny because like through the early 2000s, there were like she was in like a series of unfortunate events. So like she was collecting checks. She was, you know, I think that the Delaware's Prada kind of like gave her so much gravitas, even though it's like not a serious role, but yeah. she like plays this character who's very respected and it was a very pop, I mean, it's a great movie. So like, I think maybe that put her into the diva category for people. And then they were right. like, so therefore all your performances have to be like diva level. Iconic. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that we have to start this conversation with this movie about Mamma Mia talking about Meryl Streep because I think she is she is the main character even though this movie starts off and you are led to believe that it is Sophie. It is actually, I would say, Donna is the main character of this film. And... Well, yeah. They both have dramatic turns, though. I mean, they both change. So they could both be considered... That's true. They're both the protagonists. Um, I, yeah. I... I think I think Donna gets a a a white a, a bigger turn like she has a higher high and a lower low than like Sophie gets so I think it's a little bit more that's in just in that and that's just subject that's subjective that's yeah not like- but Sophie also takes more action because she invites the men to the um to yeah. the wedding Sophie is the inciting incident Sophie is the inciting incident and then she also changes her mind about not getting married at all, but whether yeah. she should oh, get married girl, right now. Can't e- I can't even <laughs> talk. That is so, listen, this plot is paper thin. Like, yeah. tissue paper thin. Yeah, like, Kleenex one ply. Right. Scott, Scott toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which, but- and, I mean, Donna's real turn is just getting married. Like, it's, it's not like Donna's turn yeah, is like- settling in. Substantive and significant yeah. in a way that Sophie's isn't. Like, you know? Yeah. Because they throw in a lot of like complications in the plot, just I feel like to messy it up and muddy up the miscommunication between her, Gussiera, um, her between the mom and the daughter, just to kind of like, oh, will they finally see eye to eye or whatever? But I feel like it. I don't know. It just, uh, yeah, I'm not very. It wasn't. It wasn't where the. What am I trying to say? The final destination was not like why I was hooked into it. It was like, I guess, like seeing the journey for me. I don't know. 
I lost Jean there, but I, I was just trying to. It, it's such a complicated I journey. Know. <laughs> so complicated. The was real just... Mama Mia was the friends we made along. <laughs> was the mamas we made all she... along? <laughs> the journey begins with a single Mama Mia. <laughs> uh, um, Two Mama Mias, uh, and I took the one less traveled by. You know. Mm. <laughs> and that made all the difference. There were two Mama were Mias two, on the sand. There were two Mias in a road, and I took the one less Mama. <laughs> uh, uh, absolute garbage. This movie is such garbage. Molly's crying. Molly's been on Zoom already tapped out. And a half I want to tell so. listeners. I want to tell listeners that I tried. I watched this movie, and for the first like twenty minutes, I tried to take notes, and then I just <laughs> gave up and wrote in the Google Doc. I cannot bring myself to have opinions about this movie, <laughs> so I'm just gonna react to whatever you do say. Great, because I just like, I just like can't. It's not a bad movie. I would rather watch this than either Dear Evan Hansen or Annie. Any day, any 2014. <laughs> Let me be clear. 2014. But like, I just yeah. don't, I can't engage Would with you, it. Yeah. Here's the real question Would you watch this or Christmas in the Square? Christmas in the Square. <laughs> Christmas in the Square, absolutely. <laughs> because you're only obligated to watch it once, once a year, you know, in the season. Mm-hmm. So. And the camp of Christmas in the Square is more fun because it's so. It's so wild. The plot is so an angel. An angel runs a child off the road to teach Christine Baranski a lesson in in Christmas on the Square, and in this, Colin Firth the, is it's gay. So, that is the wildest thing that goes on in this one. It's, yeah, it's just uh, like it, 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 I wish they made bigger choices about what was happening because it's just yeah. so it's so middle of the road it's so it incredibly mediocre it is so okay. middle it's it so, so frustrating that we are not watching mama mia here we go again next week and i understand we why and i'm not do no, you no, want to no, just change I, it okay no i don't think we should because i think there's just been a lot of this is a, this would be like our next thing in a row where we're like watching the same thing yeah again. that's but, true it's a mess yeah but um there are things that I think this movie is does not nail, and I, I think want the listeners to know that Adam is using Adam his is hand yes. to point very assertively right now, <laughs> and he has a point to make. I say this, Amara. <laughs> <laughs> um, I there are things about this movie that I don't think are like, I think are the structure's a little weird and wonky. One of my biggest problems with Mamma Mia, and this is like both this and the like musical is the order of the songs this piece blows its load so early on like the biggest abba songs mama mia and dancing queen are in the first 20 minutes of the movie and then you just have to like and i don't want to say suffer through other abba songs but like b-side abba songs finish out the rest of the movie and mama mia here we go again when we finally get to it maybe next mama mia um uh it it like they place them all in a much better like formatted they movie even structure way yeah um so that's one of my critiques and then also just like the the plot for mama mia 2 is solider but also more <laughs> it's it's more 
It's just more. It's bigger. Just it's, more of it. It's yeah. more mama, more Mia. Yeah. Anyway, um, right. so back All to right, Meryl. Okay. Uh, we've taken a little detour, but I would say I really like Meryl Streep's performance in this. I genuinely don't have any notes for her performance. I think she is like, really, she is one of the few people that I think can like do really dramatic, like genuinely like dramatic, dramatic work, but also um, like give you these like kind of like natural fun and natural and yeah. like having a good time things where like we just watched the other day we just watched Kristen Stewart in um Spencer. Spencer and let's talk about a movie in which she has tears in her eyes the entire time and I understand that that's what they're going for but it is exhausting watching someone <laughs> at that level of like on the on the verge of a nervous breakdown I'm like I this is I'm I feel unhinged um, and it was nice just like seeing I think everybody in this movie who made it has so much fun making mm -hmm. it that that like comes through really well. The scenes when she has with Christine Bransky and Julie Walters are just like they seem like they're actually genuinely old friends. Supposedly everybody was drunk while they were making this movie. That's like the I team. could definitely Makes feel sense. that. That's little... why everyone came back to do the sequel because they were like, great, I get to spend six weeks in Greece and get yeah. drunk. There are pictures of like their shoot uh their shoot in this movie it's like christine bransky and dominic cooper like drunk as fuck uh circulating in the internet yeah. it's very fun um, in the internet everyone in, it's you deep to inside you really gotta look inside deep web deep deep web. web um but i i i know it's like crazy i don't know i i don't Molly made a face when I said I had no notes for Meryl Streep's performance. Well, does but... that include winner takes it all or am I getting too far ahead of ourselves here? Okay, so winner, okay. no, we can talk about it. So winner takes it all is Meryl's 11 o'clock number. Um, and the height of the dramatic tension. I think this is a good time to play. If you are to say like the three biggest versions of the song, the winner takes it all, it would be obviously the original, the ABBA version. And then um, the uh, the broad or the West End uh, production, their like soundtrack or their cast recording, and then this movie's cast recording. So I'm gonna start with Meryl so that we know what's going on. So this is Meryl. I don't wanna talk about things we've gone through, though it's hurting me. Now it's history I've played all my cards And that's what you've done too Nothing more to say No more ace to play The winner takes it all The loser standing small Beside the victory I was in your arms Thinking I belonged there I figured it made sense This one is, um, this is uh, Agatha, what is her name? Agnetha, come on Agnetha. Um, 
This is Agnetha, who is like the main vocalist, and she has this like solo. She's great. Here's her. I figured it made sense. Building me a fence. Building me a home. Thinking I'd be strong there. But I was a fool. Laying by the rules. The gods But then the stage production, this is the like belted, blow the roof off the place, very 11 o'clock number that you know and love. So this is the London cast recording. Because it makes me feel sad. And I understand. You've come to shake my hand. I apologize. If it makes you feel bad Seeing me so tense No self-confidence But you see The winner takes it all I think Meryl does a a good job. I think she's like very good at getting across like the feeling and the emotion of the song. Cause like, I remember playing this after like my breakup in high school and being like, <laughs> she gets that. Um, but I do wish it was like bigger, especially with these like camera, camera sweeps of like the beautiful, like uh, Grecian coast behind them and like all this stuff, but she's doing it so small that I almost wish, I wish they had like either, she had matched the visuals or the visuals had matched her, her. performance. Yeah, because something seems off about it. Yeah, I was gonna say the visuals seem like mismatched between her and what they're showing and how they're sweeping. And uh, I mean, obviously when you're on stage, it's just focused on one spot. She is parked and barked to sing this one song. Right. But like with the with this one, the camera was moving so much. You could see the waves crashing behind her. Yeah. And it just kind of felt like there were moments where her and Pierce Brosnan just kind of like were standing there. Like it didn't feel like it was like heightened enough that like she's trying to get to her. Like, I don't want to talk. There, there were moments when they were just standing there. <laughs> No, because I'm just, just like, standing there is how I would describe the entire it. number. I meant yeah. just like that that thing of like when clearly your acting partner is like giving like the dramatic monologue and you're just like trying to like 
look away and like, uh, you know, like trying to like activate it. But like the purpose of this is just being sung at. And I, I felt like feel Pierce- <laughs> that this number was approximately 10 minutes long. Yeah. Yeah. And they stood for the entire yeah. song. Yeah. It's- and it's unconscionable. This is one of the things where, like, I appreciate that they had the same director direct this film who directed the, like, stage version. Like, I think that's cool. Um, But I think this is, like, one of the times where it, like, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Like, this this should have been more cinematic. And, like, it half is by just using, like, camera movements. But, like, what they're really doing is just singing to each other on stage. Like it's just a filmed pro shot version of, you know what I mean? And don't you also think, I mean, I don't think Meryl Streep is bad at singing, but she is not a musical performer. And I feel like if, for example, Olivia Newton-John were doing this Mm. number, it might've been interesting to watch her park and bark it. I mean, not that you shouldn't also explore other options, but I think- To me, the problem with Meryl Streep in this movie, because my job is to come for the dames on this podcast yes, and say right. you actually didn't the do a good enough dames. job, <laughs> is that um, she doesn't know how to like make a musical performance interesting to watch. She knows how to act, act in a way that's interesting, and she knows how to sing competently, but she doesn't know how to like perform. She would do poorly on Drag Race. She would not be a good lip singer. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it almost feels though that like they missed an opportunity to use where they're at in regards to like they wait until the last line of the song to show her run up that long ass whatever cliff that they're having this wedding at that I was like you could have been I don't know like walking and moving you could have paced this better you two two are street apologists you keep framing it around how the camera moved and the director chose to (laughs) do it i'm telling you it is meryl's fault you know the key grip really i think craft services uh that day was just so bad if only the sound mixing were fixed then this whole movie would be good it's she just isn't a great musical performer and that's fine she's great no i agree i what i'm trying to say is that like the uh, like all the other songs like are have movement and like the songs are moving they're in different places blah 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 and this one they did try to do the park and bark but i don't think it works because i don't know it's just a different the other thing too is like this is the only ballad in this whole fucking movie and it's given to her and every other song in this movie is like fun, fun. and like just go for or it. vibes so like fun her her like you know her and her and sophie just like reminiscing yeah i guess slipping through my fingers is also a ballad but that one's mostly this is like that's mostly voiceover actually um yeah. but um this one i feel like she just yeah she doesn't need it where it needs to be I think the whole thing is kind of messy. I don't know why in the musical there, she's like in her bedroom. He like comes in and they're talking in, in like her room or something. And she's like folding clothes. And then she like sings to him. And then halfway through, he like leaves. storms off and leaves. And then she like finishes, finishes the rest the of the song. song. <coughs> Excuse me. I apologize. Um, but, and I think that, I don't know. There's something I, I agree that it is Meryl, but I, I do think like it is staged raw. I think it's wrong. The way that this, they have structured this song in this movie is like 
something about it doesn't match for me either. It also like slipping through my fingers ends and Sophie's ready for the wedding and then they walk up and then Pierce Brosnan comes out of nowhere and it's like, no, I should give her away, blah, blah, blah. And it's literally like three or four lines before she gets into the song, which I think in the stage adaptation, there's a little bit more beef in like why Pierce Brosnan, why he that character is like trying to assert themselves back into like a fam- the family. Right. Which is, again, still kind of loose as to like, why was Meryl like so offended by that idea? Well, let's talk about feminism. Wow. Finally, Adam, you. So I think that there are things that this movie does really well and I will I will stand up for. I really like that this movie, this show in general, does not deal with um, Donna's promiscuity in any negative light. There are no jokes. There are no like, mean jokes about it i think there's like one there's a scene that acknowledges it where she she calls herself a slut in judgment and then her friends are like whoa you sound like your mom so there's like an acknowledgement that that idea exists in the world but it's immediately dismissed by the characters yes Yes, that it's like this is what is prescribed to you because of how you may have done it. Yeah. The conflict of the movie is not about Sophie shaming her mother mm-hmm. for not knowing who her fathers are, which I think is great. She's so excited. And the best part, in my opinion, is that you never find out who the father is. Like yeah. there is not a conclusion to that plot line. There's no mystery solved at the end of the day. I mean, I will say <laughs> Sophie is upset that she doesn't know her father. That's clearly her motivation. And right. so she's... That it didn't like, come quickly to her that because she kept being like, I will just know when I see the uh, his face. No, I don't <laughs> mean whatever. that. I mean, she literally yells at her mom like it sucks to grow up without a father. So like her she's mad at her mother for not oh, okay, letting okay, her okay, know okay. who her father is and not having the experience of growing up with a father. Mm-hmm. But it's true that it's never turned into like if you were less promiscuous than yeah. I would know. It, it feels like. It feels like it's more about Donna being too independent to yes, like right. pursue the answer and find out who Sophie's father is so that Sophie could know could know him. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. not about like how could you be in a situation where there's three possibilities as to the mm-hmm. answer to this question is not like what's upsetting, but it is a little like nuclear family endorsing. You know what I mean of like yeah. the idea of like I am missing something I'm missing because I something don't know because... my father. Yeah. 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 So that's where I think like <laughs> the second wave feminism comes in a bit. Mm. Just in like and I feel weird talking about this as a guy, but <laughs> no, I'm going to talk about, about it, it anyway. It. <laughs> <laughs> Molly, I don't know if you know this, but as a woman, uh no. So um there are just like there are things where it feels like Meryl is very like um, big girl boss energy. Um, and that's kind of like owns her own business, you know, runs the local economy of the town. Uh, well, well, um, I don't know. There's something about it. I can't even I don't even know if I'm like well versed enough in like the waves of feminism to like put accurate put my finger. Yeah, I mean, so girl bosses and second wave are definitely not in the same category but express your thought and then maybe we can label it afterwards <laughs> well, now i'm gonna now i'm gonna erase the whole segment um <laughs> now we won't talk about feminism because a woman corrected me 
I just, I, I don't want to say anything wrong. I don't want to say anything. If you want us to talk yeah. about feminism, you have to be nicer about it, okay? As a man, I'm trying. Can't you see that? I just want to not be canceled for one episode of this fucking <laughs> no, podcast. It can't happen. You I can't told happen. a bunch of gay people that I don't like Lady Gaga, Adam. Neither of us is getting out of this alive. Um, I don't know. There, I don't, it just, I don't know. There just is something about it that feels second wavy to me. That's it. Define second wavy so we can parse this. So first wave was the like suffragette suffragist movement to like vote votes for women. Uh, Glynis Johns and Mary Poppins. Um, <laughs> and then second wave is the burning bras. To, uh-huh. That's like the the image of. Um, and. Uh, they the they were when the third wave came out in the 90s that was was, released yep right um that (laughs) the new season of feminism came out love her new haircut (laughs) third wave incorporated intersectionality Uh uh-huh correct um i don't know wow adam's really put on the ringer here I no, I just want I'm trying to figure out like what about Meryl Streep's character to you reminds you of second wave feminism. I don't know. Nothing. I don't okay. know. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm trying to like no, I don't know. figure I don't out know. what the thought is. That that so her whole deal. I mean, is I like, also read it in a review, so that's probably informing my Oh gotcha. Okay. Yeah, you're just parodying another person's idea. Yeah, sorry. Um, so you're you're feeling like she has this very independent and like anti-nuclear family kind of perspective. She she doesn't want to get married. She doesn't want to know who Sophie's father is. She doesn't understand than, okay. Sophie's like a judgment of her own here's, here's skills. It yeah. It's the fact that like she had that for herself, which is fine, whatever. Um, but like also thinks that that's how Sophie should also be living her life. Is like ascribing that to Sophie, even though Sophie is pretty clear that she doesn't want that for herself and like seems to not overtly but take it as like uh an attack on not an attack but um considers it personal it feels like and i understand i'm gonna get i'm gonna get real psychological about mama mia here for a second Mm -hmm. i understand where she's coming from on that because if if you raised a kid on your own and were like very clear about like this, this is enough. And like, I don't need a man to get by. I can do it all by myself. And then your kid got married at 20, which is like very young to get married. I understand feeling like, oh my gosh, is she reacting to feeling so much like this, like institution of marriage was in her life that like, is, is that somehow a reflection? And like, Moms do get pretty sensitive about like the choices that their kids make yeah. being reflections on them. So I'm not saying it's logical and I'm not saying that she would like articulate it in that way. I think she tries not to. I think she tries to be like, okay, like that's what makes you happy. But I understand how underneath that you would have this fear of like, I went against the grain and then my kid has like corrected hard into the grain. So like, it's hard for me to not wonder if somehow that is a a reflection on me doing a bad job as a mom. Cause I also think a lot of moms have like just like a baseline anxiety that they're, that they're a bad mom because we 
hold moms up to be this like perfect ideal. And so it's impossible for Mm -hmm. anybody to ever meet it. So there's always this like striving towards like, was I perfect enough? That's interesting because I I feel like I didn't. Now you explaining that I'm like, okay, now that makes more sense as to why Donna was very quick to be like, yeah, you don't want to get married, right? Yeah, that's totally fine. We can call off this wedding right now. And so he's like, no, that's not what I'm stressed about. I'm stressed about it. But it's so that that my three dads are here. Yeah. For some crazy reason, you know, we don't know. Um, so that's my conversation on feminism. This it's going to be so will, much of that middle will be cut. It's just I will be- never bring up feminism on this podcast. I really again. appreciate I really appreciate you bringing it up, Adam. I'm glad we had the conversation. I just was I just felt like you had something to say and I didn't understand where it was coming from through the ter- you were using terminology instead of just saying your thoughts. So just like, yeah. you know, how do you feel about Donna from like a personal emotional perspective what do you think she's about as a woman oh was that a real question you're not gonna actually ask question. <laughs> i didn't know if that was a real question it's a real question um i think she uh i don't know i always feel i don't know i get nervous i, I mean nervous as a child I, of a single have- mother like or raised as a single mother i get queasy when i have to like critique women <laughs> even like on harry potter like even when we like talk about how shitty joe rolling is i'm always like a little bit sweaty because i'm like i i don't want to do the like gay thing of being like well i too am persecuted i so know, i can i know what it's bitch. like i know the women's plight yeah yeah um like, <sighs> i don't because i don't want to do that and i don't want to do the like Ew, vaginas are gross. I don't want to. Like, but it's I, also like we literally in our last Mother's Day episode when we did Into the Woods, like we regarded all of the mothers, like even though well, there are Sondheim regarded the mothers, Sondheim regarded the mothers, and like there were even things that we were like, your mom had to call out of in that episode of like, he did this, he talked about it like this way, and we're like, oh yeah, I didn't realize that, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I'm learning something new about you, Adam. I didn't know that you had this anxiety that I get nervous. Do you feel like that's is it? Do you feel like that's mostly the societal perception of gay men that makes you anxious? Or do you like worry that you don't relate well to women in your everyday life? No, I think it's probably the societal thing. Like, I just I don't want to. You don't want to be the Twitter, the gay Twitter cancellation of the day. Yeah, I so deeply (laughs) love and appreciate women and like typically connect with anything that they do more so than anything men do <laughs> mm-hmm. you're gonna say anything that is a woman <laughs> anything any person anything. that is a woman um any fruit you know <laughs> um but i also that i i don't want to ever seem like i am uh not being a man and talking yeah, I don't I don't want to over talk. It's very strange being like a guy in a fandom that is like completely dominated by women, which is like super cool in some regards. But also like I get very nervous when I talk about things in the fandom because I've already like been called out as being like a man. Like I, it's it's I don't know. Sometimes I, it feels weird sometimes. But anyway, that has nothing to do with my BTS. B- oh, BTS. Mm-hmm. Mm. you're the only people i know who like bts so it never occurred to me to wonder about the gender breakdown of bts friends but 
It's I'm like gonna shock you. Boy bands typically have a very strong female following. I just know so so few women and so many gay men that I never have a good, <laughs> <laughs> good metric on that. And that, you know what, Molly, that makes up for your Lady Gaga opinion. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> we forgive you. I genuinely I'd have to do an inventory. No, I have more close. <laughs> no, I was gonna say I might have more close friends who are gay men than women, but that's probably not true. No, your family doesn't, your family doesn't count as friends, by the way. Your I sister have doesn't count as friends that aren't my family. <laughs> but Rita, you are a close friend of <laughs> but ours. Rita, so you please. are a close friend of ours. <laughs> <laughs> the show's close friend. Um, okay, uh, well, we're going <laughs> to that whole thing. I think it was really interesting. I think I was very vulnerable and I didn't like being vulnerable. So. And, he, and he edits the show. I, so. edits. I can't stop you, but there may be snippets of that that would be interesting for our listeners to engage with. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I would like to talk about after that, I would like to talk about why did I highlight does your mother know? Because Christine Bransky. Oh, right, right. Because mother. does she? Um, <laughs> Which is the main question. Does, does mama she know, know? you <laughs> So should we go from Donna to Sophie and talk about Sophie? Yeah. What's there to talk sure. about? Sophie? Amanda Seyfried is just so other, pretty in this movie. The main She's protagonist so in, Mo- in Molly's She's opinion. so pretty, sun-kissed, the, like the widest eyes. Like her eyes can't. are so huge in this movie. Yeah. Again, another person who is having so much fun. Yeah. Yes. Just in general, I would say the whole cast is having lots of fun. She, Amanda Seyfried is my favorite part of this movie. Oh, I was really I concerned, actually. Is. I was like, I don't know if Molly will like like her because. But then Adam told me was like Amanda Seyfried is performing like a perfect 20 year old. Like it's so frantic, so messy. That is like that, yeah. when she so makes, I was like, she, oh, okay, RJ that was sense. like criticizing her decisions she was making as a character. And I was like, she's she's 20. 20. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly what she would be doing. When he when she like at the very end, when she's like, just kidding, we won't get married. We're just going to travel. I was like, yeah, well, you just blew, spent all your money on this wedding. Nobody's going to pay you back. Like nobody's going to give you your money back, girl. It's fine. I So I don't like Sophie. I'm just enchanted by Amanda Seyfried because she's so gorgeous and and sings so beautifully in this movie that like she works for me as an ingenue. It's. I don't often yes. like really get drawn onto the drawn into the ingenue, but in this case, I just like love watching her on screen, and I don't care that much. But like Sophie is an insane character, yeah. And the idea that you would—I mean, I don't—I guess I don't know what the experience is to grow up without your dad and not know who your dad is. And I—I I, I suppose I could understand that somebody could have this feeling of like it's so important that I meet something. my dad and whatever. But like mm-hmm. I barely would allow my actual father to walk me down the aisle. Like the only reason that if I get married, I'll let my dad walk me down the aisle is because I know it would like feel like I was insulting him in some way if I didn't let him. And like, that's not, I don't, I don't want my dad to feel bad, but like the notion of it is so offensive to me on every level as a human being that like your father is giving you away. And the idea that you would be like, I need to get married so that a man I've never met could be the one show to like, yeah. in, like entreat me to my husband. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What an insane notion! And the whole idea that like I 
she basically had a wedding to give give herself an excuse to try to meet her dad Mm -hmm. and like you literally could just send the letters so like there's yeah there's no reason that this wedding needs to be involved in this in any way you could just try to go meet them so it's such a ridiculous plot at least the wedding part i'm like that's the heightened musical theater whatever Mm -hmm. but like her motivations i have no sympathy or like understanding (laughs) for she's just really pretty yeah, and she does a really good job. I mean, like, she is so charming on sti- on on the screen. Like, you can't not watch her and, like, fall in love with it. Does anyone... I've never... I've watched this movie now three times in my life, and I've seen the show on stage. Why does she pass out? <laughs> Why does she collapse? Because she's stressed out that they all think that... She thought, as RJ alluded to earlier, she thought as soon as she met her dad... She would know who he was and it would all click into place, right? (laughs) Right. So she, the first guy, I think it was Bill, Bootstrap Bill, right? So he like, um, he, he's the first one that says, oh, I'm your dad. And then she's like, this is it. I figured it out. And then the next one comes up and says, I'm your dad. And she's like, wait a second. And I think she's realizing that she's not going to all of a sudden just realize it's not just going to make sense and all click into place for her. And also that like now she has to manage these three men that like, the consequences of this very complicated social interaction she's created for herself, I think, overwhelms yeah. her. And she's too pretty, so she has to think. She's so pretty. She's so frail, dainty. She's, she's already had girl. one. She already had two drinks. I wish this. I wish that <laughs> I kind of wish that the movie or the story in general was that she like fainted and then she realized she was also pregnant. <laughs> like she was pregnant. Early. Just throw it in there. Just Why add not? another one. Why not? Fun. This is the first time I'm mad about you from a woman's <laughs> perspective. <laughs> How dare you? My pregnancy is not just a you. plot point. I'm not explain. just a vessel for some fetus. <laughs> to explain a plot point. There was like some Republican that called women like holy vessels for childbirth. Yeah, all of them, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the top ones. <laughs> name you name them, they got them. Name one. I will say the chemistry between Sophie and Sky, Dominic Cooper. Yeah, hot man, a man, right. a twink man. When they started singing together and lay your love on me on the beach, I was like, oh, this is hot. Yeah, I also really like that they kind of don't have conflict in this movie. Like they do in that, like he wants to go see the world and she wants to have a wedding, and that's. But that's it. Like, it's so surface. He's still level. very much like, I will still do. I mean, like, I whatever. even like the line when she like yells at him and he's like, she's like, what are you saying? You don't love me anymore. And he's like, of course I love you. That's stupid. Yeah, it's like, I just am mad like that, that you didn't tell me that you're plotting all of these things while I'm trying to do this wedding. There is there is like a very classic rom-com just comedy. I think most comedies in general where like there's a bunch of miscommunication in like yeah. that too. Yeah. And like every character is miscommunicating with every other, like it's to mm-hmm. the nth degree. And I was like, this was also like the B side section of the movie. And I was like, we need to like hurry this up. Cause Imagine I just like Adam, if you could only communicate with people via ABBA songs, I think he would also <laughs> struggle if you were, but this is all position. when they're in dialogue, like it's all dialogue and they're all just like talking around everything and no one says what they actually are like mean like they're all just inferring the rest of their sentence yeah it's like well you wanted to have this wedding (laughs) yeah 
I think that we should now make a high-level improv game where you're given the lyrics to an ABBA song and you have to make a scene, but you can only use ABBA lyrics in order to communicate oh the story. The Lael, Your Love on Me, though, I'm going to play it right now really quick. song basically this and then like the the um the the like trippy grecian chorus uh the dance the dance like when she like passes out the bachelorette party bachelorette party the stag night or stagnate um the stalagmite the stalagmite the stagnate the stagnate um anyway uh lay all your love on me and those those are like the only two times there's like dancing in the i this was not a dance movie. This isn't even no. close. No, there's no. And it's frustrating because I think you could have fun dancing to this, but they were just like, it's not for us. It's not what we're yeah. doing. Let's do music video style. Yeah. You know. Or just like moves. We're just doing moves. We're doing we're movers. We're not dancers. We're movers. That's that's a bummer. They're not particularly singers. They're not particularly dancers. It's just. I mean. The reason I don't like the movie is that I don't like ABBA. And the whole movie is about the music. So if you don't like the music, there's no way that you're going to like it. But like, I don't think that they did anything particularly interesting with the music. And I hate the decision to have some of the music be diegetic. And the whole plot line that like Donna has a band and sometimes they're actually doing numbers. Yeah. Horrible. That is like. I disagree wholeheartedly. (laughs) Okay. Well, that one they've kept obviously from the original that was always something that I was always like, it was kind of like she gave up a life of being in a girl group so that she could, because she, she got she pregnant. moved to this island in Greece when she was like 22 or so, right? I, uh, I They explain understand. it in the sequel. You'll see so next you'll year. You'll see okay. next year, honey. <laughs> Mama Mia too. But yes, if you're just going off this movie, there's not, you... It, the, I, I do remember watching this movie when this did not have a sequel, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, Why wait, is she in what's car- happening? <laughs> Why are they wearing cost? Like, <laughs> that comes out of nowhere. This yeah. Movie. Like, there's, I think, one poster where it says Don on the Dynamos. Yeah. And then, like, they just show up at the bachelorette party. And yeah. it's fun. And they look great. Yeah, it's and whatever. Number. But it is, like, out of left field. Like, I just love as a person who's not seen the sequel, the way that you talk about it as if the sequel is just the tightestly plotted thing that I you, know, I've ever seen. I know. Like, once you get into the deep lore, it really once is going to click for you. <laughs> <laughs> it once really they, unlocks everything. Once they explain the Jedis and how, how the, the Force... right, right. Yes, 
It'll... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I won't have any questions anymore. Okay, well, I look forward to that day. Because <laughs> what do they sing? What do they sing? Gimme, gimme, gimme? No, that's the Bachelor. They sing Super Trooper. Super Trooper. Oh, yes. Yeah. Super but then cause... it also makes things like Mama, or is Mama Mia the one, or Dancing Queen? It makes Dancing Queen, like, in a confusing space of, like, because Are they, they really singing it? Yeah, because they sing it at the credits at the end, but then they also sing it in the moment to like cheer her up. That like you're, you've always been a dancing queen, Donna. Yeah, I just hate. And let me tell you, tell you this: I hate Abba. Dancing Queen is the worst for me. It is. I just, I actively dislike that. So other Abba songs, I'm like, it's boring, whatever. But like Dancing mm-hmm. Queen, just like it's like nails on a chalkboard. For I do me. believe that Dancing Queen is the most overrated one. I think in a different way than you're reacting. I think there are better Abba songs than Dancing Queen, but Dancing Queen is the one that like every every mother wants to sing in the wedding. You know, I think like, everyone yeah. loves the song. I think maybe why I dislike Dancing Queen so much is because other people like it so much and it, nothing makes me feel more alienated from like humanity as a whole when than everyone watching likes other people react to Dancing Queen and just fully not understanding <laughs> what they're experiencing in any way. And this is what this, this is, is the episode joy, Molly. You might want to try it. <laughs> I was about to say, and this is the episode that Molly reveals that she is an alien. Depressed. <laughs> oh, both. Somewhere between those an two. An alien for sure. just looking to get away. <laughs> dancing queen in my head and it's making me angry you can dance and jive and have the time of your life what does sween mean is that young and sween young and young and sweet (laughs) young and sweet only 17 i just don't think it rhymes i just don't think it rhymes i think it's a slant rhyme adam please explain to us what a slant excuse me i'm i'm looking up the lyrics to dancing queen Young and seen. I like I've always sung her? sweet. See, that's the thing. Everyone loves the song, but if you ask, like, what is the official lyrics, people are like all misheard. I guess it is. You're sweet. a teaser. You turn them on. At least sweet is the word, but they definitely sing it like Sween to make it rhyme with seventeen. Young and sweet. All is I just don't think they enunciate the T. I don't think they have sweet, and young and sweet. No, they definitely do an N. There's young an N in there somewhere. Young and sweet. <laughs> Only seven tweed. <laughs> this, this is the clip that I'm posting on socials. Just us <laughs> figuring out if it's sweet or song sweet. That literally everybody on earth is. No one has ever questioned until right now. <laughs> Um, you needed you needed me from my alien perspective to say yeah. what is this about? Adam the feminist, Molly the alien, absolutely. But there is like this this uh, 
this this a lot of ABBA songs don't narratively like make sense so they just have to become like we're just by we just like it's just a song to like get the girls to jam in and like fine that's like the weaker stuff in jukebox that's not great yeah. um but i think some of the songs like they try to work in pretty well um for example uh christine baranski song does your mother know rj you wanted to talk about this one i just think that she's great and we she's adam great. and i had a we conversation now talked about her four times on this podcast. yeah but adam and i had this conversation of like she does this like vampy role very well and like there was something in the in the culture that we all agreed that like christine baranski is the vamp like that's her like that's her role but um, she does not classically yeah. look like someone who should play that role like she does not have the features of like i she kind of she's reminds, like a beautiful woman, but she's not like a classic beauty. Like she's like an interesting. Yeah, but beauty. I think some of like it would be like if Barbara Streisand played it. Like you wouldn't be like, oh, Barbara Streisand's ugly. No, what? but she Who? she plays into the vamp like how like like Angelica Houston plays like a vampy role. She has like the dark, you know, dark hair, dark features or like even like a Madeline Kahn. Like I feel like they're all kind of in the same who do you feel has an appropriate vamp look to them? Um, that's a great question. Jessica Rabbit. <laughs> okay. Any, I think um, that's not animated that is, example. That is literally uh, Adam's like, uh, the woman who, wait, what is her fucking name? Uh, this is going to make me mad when I see it. The one who voices Jessica Rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> the one, the person who Kathleen dreamed Turner. Jessica Rabbit. Kathleen Turner. Turner. Yeah. Famous fan. Hello all. Hello all. <laughs> it's great. Um, yeah, I just feel like I do get that from Christine though, but it is in, it is interesting yeah. that we've kind of like put her in that. I think it's like her pointed features. She's got like a very strong face. I don't know. She's to me, she's presence. very classically attract and very like um, kind of hyper feminine attractive. So like I I don't really. I don't think I just don't agree. I just think- like I think I don't th- I don't think there's anything hyper fa- I I think she I think she's maybe, very yeah. beautiful. I don't think she's like got like big tits and a big ass and it's like all right. Well, now we're really <laughs> right, learning okay, something about Adam's relationship with women. <laughs> I don't I think guess she's got actually, huge knockers. It's but not hyper feminine. It's like it's where she's like kind of masculine in a way that makes her even more feminine do you know like the deep voice is an example of the yeah. thing where it's yeah. like i think should be a masculine thing but somehow makes her but more that's what feminine. i mean is i think it's more how her not her like exterior appearance i mean it, it, i'm not again i'm not saying she's not attractive and beautiful and whatever but i just like think like if you were to look at a picture of christine bransky and knew nothing about her you wouldn't be like vamp i think you'd be like oh actress <laughs> star i'm looking See, at because... pictures of christine baranski to try to do this mental exercise <laughs> you could never what do because it requires know? you to because it's gonna show you like her and grinch <laughs> Here's which the is thing, a vampy though. role which is a, when, that's when, what i'm when saying I she keeps up, getting cast in these roles when i look up christine baranski the first picture that comes up on google <laughs> image search is her in a leopard print shirt with red <laughs> lipstick 
And nothing tells me someone is a vamp more than that combination. So I but feel that's like what she's wearing. No, but here's what I'm trying to say. She's I scary. think that I think that vampness is defined <laughs> by things like styling and voice. I don't think that there's okay. a physical. There's, it's not innate vamp. Th- there sure. is. I. I it's don't picture like a body type or a facial structure with yeah. the idea of vamp. To, to me, anyone could fit into that role because there's like not a look that you have to like have as a person. It's all about stylism. Wow. Style, style, being style. Yeah. Style period. It's the way you carry. It. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Because I would like your example of Angelica Houston is like a really great example of like a very heavy lid, yeah. like ha- eyes half open. Yes. Like a a smile that's just like upturned at the end. Like, God, I found a picture of Christine Baranski's yearbook photo. Can you even? <gasps> vamp. Future vamp. Vamp, Giving vamp, vamp. training. <laughs> V-I-T. I just love that in this new run of Showgaze, we've established Susan Sontag's camp and Molly Matiney's vamp. And that is... <laughs> Christine Baranski was class president, you guys. Notes on vamp. Notes on vamp. Notes on vamp. Molly, Christine that... Baranski. Completely shift your PhD to notes on vamp. Do you have time? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'd love to switch topics at this point. That'd be a great idea. Please suggest that more. Um, uh, great. Uh, but I do, I will say with Christine Baranski, she brings such a, she is definitely having so much fun. There was that moment where her and Julie Walters are my favorite part of this movie. They're just so like in sync with each other that uh i don't know it's just like it's such a good comedic duo and like there was that moment where the two of them and meryl it was after chiquitita where they were like trying to cheer her up mm-hmm. i think she flubbed her line because she said like christine baranski said like uh whatever and and they were all kind of like making fun of her and she was like blah blah blah, blah and then just says the line again and i'm like I think that was a real flub, but because they're looking like they're just girls like hanging out and like reminiscing and like our friends that it just looked so good and like so natural. I stopped listening to what you were saying because as you were talking, I realized that we're going to get into three hours for this podcast and I had to really take <laughs> a moment to make peace nightmare with that. of like, I chose not to write notes. It's not my nightmare. Why. It's not the whiz, but it's. It's not what I expected from our recording session today. We slipped a bite of For listeners, they were pretending to be the puppets. Yeah. Uh, but I will say real quick before I end Christine Bransky and Julie Walters. It end was her. End her before I end her. <laughs> it was really fun to see like these three like older women like reminisce and it reminds me of when my mom hangs out with her college like like sorority friends because they're just like it's like no time has passed and they're still so like bright and bubbly and like having such a fun time I don't know it just it gave me such like major like mom's having fun you're finally here (laughs) finally here it just gave me like major like moms and like aunties like having fun that like as a kid I always loved because I don't want to hang it because I was gay and I wanted to. Yeah. Women don't get excited about middle-aged women in the way that gay men do. So, you know, it was fun, but it it doesn't hit me in the same way. Yeah. There's a spiritual bond. Yeah. That I'll, I'll truly never understand. No, you won't. Because I did want to be in that room when they were like kikiing. I was like, oh, what a great time. Yeah. They had the, they opened the bottle of champagne. Um, 
I do. Yeah, my uh, those two are my favorite part of the movie. They have a lot of energy. I love a classic one, two, one and two, like character, character, actor, comedy performance of like the straight one and the funny one. And Julie Walters is really good at the physical comedy she has to do in this movie. Uh, and um, yeah, you know who I don't want to talk about? I really don't care about Colin Firth or Stellan Skarsgård. So if anybody, I honestly has- have no opinions about any of the men in the movie at all. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, they were fine. I the will Colin say- Firth thing does feel like very early 2000, like the him being gay, like that feels very early 2000s, Adam, late 90s. Make the uh, note about Bush. Oh, this movie came out when Bush was still president, which like feels cr- like right. Like, yeah, that it's energy like not still- saying gay, but like alluding. Right. He doesn't even say like, I'm gay. He's like, I am at peace is- with myself or whatever, yeah. like whatever Congrats yeah to you, sir. hats off <laughs> very I mean, don't ask not, don't tell still yeah it's not subtle he says like you're the last woman i ever loved and then he like yeah. turns to a man and is like right i love you or like well because in go the out or i don't he says something explicitly romantic yeah because in the stage adaptation he says he keeps referring to his better half and then you find out the end like he has, is in like a committed relationship with a man for like years or whatever Mm. So it is interesting that they were just like, oh, he's going to fuck a local Greek. And that's how he knows. Like, the discovery happened here. Yeah, it happened here. Oh, I didn't. That's interesting. I didn't interpret that to be what was what the movie was saying. I thought he knew he was gay. It was just that he hadn't told the people on the island Mm. yet. I don't know. I felt like it was... I think it could go both ways because I don't think it's very I don't think it cares enough to be specific enough to like yeah. kind of figure that out. Right. Um, but I think it's fine. Whatever. I don't care. I will say I'm not bothered by it. I will say just with the men in general, because they do the next movie with the prequels once again. Holly, I'm sorry we're talking about it again. <laughs> I'm so alienated from this conversation. I don't understand Dancing Queen. I've never seen the sequel. I don't know the lore, but because they do the prequel, I almost wish they could re-release this movie and swap out you know how donna sees them for the first time and then they're re- she's reverted back to like when she saw them in the 70s oh my god I and like can we put them in the 70s clothes but they don't do anything they to do age anything. them down no it's just Not them in those costumes and i almost wish they can like edit that and <laughs> just cgi over the the new men that are in there because they are so I was very attracted to all three men as as the younger version. Pierce Brosnan is hot. I'm not going to not say that. That sounds crazy to be like, he's bad in this movie. Yeah, he's bad in this movie. He's also fucking hot. He's handsome. I don't know what to tell you. He was James Bond for a goddamn reason. I feel nothing about him in this movie. It It did do something for me. I think it was the like, it was the silver fox. Money. Money. Money, money, money. Money, 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 honey, honey. The order of people that I want to hook up with in this movie are Amanda, Amanda Seyfried, <laughs> Christine, Christine Baranski, oh, yes! <laughs> Dominic, what's his face? Yeah. Cooper. yeah. Yeah. End of list. I mean, Christine Baranski gave you a little uh, fake out, fake out fellatio in her song. Like she was really yeah. going for it. Truly. Um, we have to talk about Pierce Brosnan. Everybody's talking about Pierce everybody Brosnan. was everybody was talking about Pierce Brosnan um, moments ago. In fact, we've already transitioned <laughs> to talking about him. <laughs> yeah, um, he is 
a he uh, t- okay i have said this before i've tried to be very pointedly like i don't singing is you have to be like a good a competent singer and i he doesn't meet that criteria i do not need my stars of movie musicals to be uh beltresses, beltresses. yeah it's great when they are not gonna say no to one but i also it's more about everything else going on than like about how you sing the song mm-hmm. um he can't even do that uh well and like his character isn't like interesting enough to like be like yeah. well at least it's him for this reason. i think well rj you're about to say something i'll let you talk first i was just gonna say because also that he is that role he gets basically like two ballads too that it's like you can't even like well he doesn't have that much to sing it's like no he sings like two more songs <laughs> so i think what's gives- offensive about pierce brosnan in this movie is that he refuses to make a choice related to his singing mm, there are yeah. a lot of people who aren't great singers but then they decide to have like a way that they're going to approach the song that makes it interesting and he doesn't care enough to make a choice about how he's going to perform it. So he doesn't like talk saying it. He doesn't like do it comedically. He doesn't like move his body so that you're like paying attention to the dance instead of whatever. He just is like, well, I'm Pierce Brosnan and I assume people will be attracted to me and they won't notice that I'm bad at singing, I guess. And so mm. he's just extremely bland. Yeah. Yeah. And it all, it makes me wonder like why this is like when I'm like, but then why are you casting like this role is so anything that it could be anyone. And it's not like it needs to be like Pierce Brosnan, if that makes sense. Um, Like the only one that was supposed to be specifically someone was uh the character of bill in the show is australian and they switched it to being swedish because they wanted Stellan Skarsgård, and also it was like because the closest to... thing that anyone has to a personality in this in this whole musical is being from australia yeah um <laughs> i think it has to be that at the time the middle-aged women that they were trying to market it to they assumed sure. would be really into pierce brosnan from james bond well moms fifth fifth highest grossing movie of the year so i guess they got it right it worked um i'll play a little bit of unfortunately sos where are those happy days they seem so hard to find i tried to reach for you but you have closed your mind whatever happened to our love i wish i understood it used to be so nice, it used to be so good song definitely was showed me like made me realize like yeah like this is this is a mom's movie musical like this is Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
just that age range is so keyed in in this song specifically. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Not Rita, though. Rita is also not an ob- It's not the Carpenters level, but not a fan of ABBA. So mm. this fan um, appears. Not to my knowledge. Not to your knowledge. My parents didn't watch any movies past like 1982 or whatever. So I don't think I don't think James Bond necessarily made the cut. Oh, they have seen the Sean Connery ones, though. They like Sean Connery. Mm. Yeah, that's my mom's favorite, too. Yeah. Um. So uh, this is from Wikipedia. The casting of actors not known for their singing abilities led to some mixed reviews. Variety stated that some stars, especially the bouncy and rejuvenated Streep, seem better suited for musical comedy than others, including Brosnan and Skarsgård. Brosnan especially was savaged by many critics. His singing was compared to, quote, a water buffalo from New York Magazine, quote, a donkey an- braying from the Philadelphia Inquirer, and, quote, a wounded raccoon from the Miami Herald. And Matt Brunson of Creative Loafing Charlotte said he looked, quote, he looks physically pained, choking out the lyrics as if he's being subjected to a prostate exam just outside of the camera's eye. Is a water buffalo an animal that we know what it sounds like? Yeah. Metaphors don't have to work, literally. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, I think that's it. I think that's all I really want to talk about. Oh, I didn't talk about the Greek drama of it all. Yeah, which was one of your main points. I know. So I do just want to say the one thing I think is fun and works really well about the show um, is that they, because they said it in Greece, and I don't know which came first. What's the chicken to the egg situation? If they were like, this is this plot is so thin that it like feels like a Greek Greek comedy, or if um, not that I'm saying that. Okay, Molly's already making faces. Okay, no, Let I'm trying to raise what I'm saying. Think about it. Yeah, go ahead. If the thing was like, oh, it's so stock that it feels like a classic Greek comedy in that way, or if it was like, oh, it's set in Greece, why don't we just like, why not make the chorus a Greek chorus and then like kept going from there? Um, because they do do like some stuff that like are movie. like just jokes in general like where they they like pretend that the thing is like a dick so they have like uh a cod piece or whatever which is like you know i when when they did that bit where christine bransky like puts the centerpiece between her legs to be a phallus Mm -hmm. it reminded me of that time when we were in intro to the theater freshman year and somebody asked the professor what a phallus was (laughs) do you remember this no it was tim mann was teaching us um intro to theater he was like describing things that people wore in greek theater including mm-hmm. like these big shoes and different whatever he was giving us some terminology and no, he's like, we had intro to theater in sec our second semester freshman year right i, I did thought we not all took have- it as a learning community why would you not be in because why would I be in a class with Ellery other than the fact that we yeah, were in that's a learning community? I, we must have taken something with the learning community. You didn't take aesthetic. intro to theater with Tim Mann. I don't think I did. I don't think I ever had a class with Tim. Tim taught me the like scenic portion of crafts. crafts but I never had a class, class with, Tim. with him. That's so wild. How did that happen? No, wasn't it the class where we did the puppets? Oh. Huh? Remember second semester? You were in one of the puppet shows, Adam. 
Oh, girl. Was that the same class? I think it was that I was, class. I it's have like to start a, this story over. It's like applied theater or something. Nobody like cares that. about. Nobody cares about this. I've <laughs> the whole thing. Okay. There was a class that I took that I thought you two were in, but maybe you were not in with me. So there was a day where the professor was describing things that 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 the actors would wear in Greek comedy, and he was giving us like terminology about the the names of these things, like these big shoes that they wore and whatever, whatever. And he's using all these Greek terms. And then he was like, including they wore phalluses. And then like, we all chuckled and moved on. And then somebody raised their hand to be like, I missed some of the terms. So like, this was this thing and blah, blah, blah. And then they said, and what's a phallus? Which one of those was a phallus? And they like, didn't, they had never heard the term phallus before and like thought that was describing the shoes. And it was like the most awkward moment of one of the most awkward moments of my life where somebody in a room full of people at 18 years old very clearly articulated that they didn't know what a phallus was. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of people who don't know what a phallus is. Do, should I define it for the listeners? Go ahead. <laughs> Rita, in case you don't know. <laughs> Nan. Uh, great. Um, can we, are we moving on? That's all I wanted. Was to there say anything on. else about the Greek chorus that you? Um, well, I thought people I, were going to chime in, but I will say wanted. about oh. the Greek chorus. About <laughs> we were so distracted by phalla, phallus, phalla, phalla, phallae. I will say about the Greek chorus. I remember the first time watching it and was like, "Yeah, I feel like it doesn't work." And this time I watched it, and I was like, "I don't know. I could, I really got into it a lot more than the first time." And I don't really have a an explanation as to why it worked on me more at this time. Because we've lived through a pandemic and we have to take the little joys where we can find them. Where we can yeah. look at a look at an imaginary group of people being like, yeah, we get you. We know what's going on. I felt like this movie has such a weird relationship with the country of Greece. <laughs> and I think maybe that it, it probably doesn't really come up in the stage show, but because it's like physically in Greece, it's so obvious visually that we're in Greece. Mm -hmm. It's kind of weird how like, like Sophie seems to have no relationship with like being Greek, despite the fact that she presumably she has lived there, there her whole life. Right. Yeah, and obviously like Greek people are not people of color, but there's something kind of weird about like the two leads are these blonde ladies. And then we have like darker Skinned, darker complexioned people who are like the background characters that like mm. I'm not saying it's like offensive but it like reminded me of other things that I feel like have used people of color as like tokens and background dressing in a way there, there was this yes. feeling of like the locals who are like they're like or ornamentations they were like they're very, dressed, yes, they're dressing. very ornamental and yeah. so I liked the like silliness of this whole big town of people who join in the musical numbers that part i liked but it was weird there was something weird visually going on with it for me it was like no almost, one is greek in this in this yeah like, i was about to movie. say i wish like, sky was greek, greek or like something like like it would have made yeah. sense if sky was like i want to travel the world because i've lived in the stupid island all my life and with right. tourists ostensibly or you would imagine that he's greek but he has a British accent, so that doesn't. <laughs> that feels like what I made up in my head, at least, is that Sophie like goes to college in the UK, and that's where she met because her bridesmaids are like Scottish. So like, that was what. Oh, is this part of the lore? Huh, great. Well, <laughs> but she's also like twenty, so I don't even know if she went to college. Or, so yeah. yeah, it's very like 
it's obvious that they want it to be that these people are abstracted from real life. Nobody's doing things like go to school and like having a cultural right. heritage, I guess. But like, yeah. it's it's weird when it's so clearly Greece that like there's so little reference to the specificity of like that is a place that has a culture. Yeah, and people it's and, just like you know. a fabled like, you know, like uh, yeah, like a fabled story of like Greece. Right, it's Which- remote. Is like yes. the point. It's rem- yeah. it's away from other things. Is though it could be an island literally anywhere. Yeah, which is just in- it's just crazy because like you know put this in like if it wasn't Greece, if it was like I don't know Myanmar, Thailand, then we would be like there was no Thai people in the you know like in the main cast. So yeah, it's so you're saying white people are also first. Oh my. God. <laughs> I just want to make sure that that's what we're saying. We're we all going to be. We finally got RJ. I was really holding my own, but now, yeah, I'm apologizing for white people. They have. They, they... have it equally as hard. <laughs> that is what RJ oh said on this podcast. <laughs> Let's move on. <sighs> So on Rotten Tomatoes, this movie has 55% from the critic score. Owen Gleiberman from Entertainment Weekly says Amanda Seyfried is adequately sweet as Sophie who craves, in addition to a father, a princess wedding. But as Donna, the free-spirited second-wave feminist mom who asks her two gal pals Mm. to the event, Streep is trying so hard to get off her pedestal to play a woman past all glamour that she declaims every line, even when she's croak singing like a sailor on a bender. I never thought I'd see a film in which blousy Christ is it blousy B L O W S Y. I think it's blousy. I think so. It's not um, a word that I've encountered many times in my life. Uh, Christine Baranski is the most restrained person on screen yet. Let's give mama Mia credit. It's bad in so many ways yet. You can't say that these ladies lack spunk. Their what the hell moxie lights up the first girl power musical to target girls over 50. And just wait until Pierce Brosnan warbles SOS. You'll laugh and then you'll be charmed. I won't really defend Mamma Mia, but I will recommend how to watch it. Just stop rolling your eyes and listen. It feels like they wanted to get out there like, I've always thought Meryl Streep was overrated. So let me take her down a peg in this review. I felt very, it felt very misplaced in that first half. I'm like, what are you getting at? That she's getting off her pedestal to play this like not glamorous woman. I don't know. That's very, that was very weird to me. I'm interested in the claim. It's the first girl power musical for women over 50. 50. Yeah. Is that true? True. Because I, I mean, yeah, the the selection of anything for girl power over 50 is like slim pickings, Oklahoma. <laughs> I get. Yeah, I guess the word for is what's a little bit confusing. It's there aren't many musicals that have like a main trio of women over 50. So like portrayed the characters being primarily women over 50. Yeah, is yeah, not that common in musical theater. But like, I, I guess this is going to sound really like universalizing, but like ours isn't, aren't all musicals for but is it, women but is over it, 50? Like what musical is like not for women over 50? I guess yeah. is what I'm getting at. that's who's watching musicals. But is, it is, only... that a, is that a population that's felt really excluded from musical theater? I don't think so. But is it, is it say, is it less, is it un, 
is it poorly trying to say it's not about the plot or like who's represented on screen, but more that like people who were 20 in the 70s in 2008 would be like 50 ish. So he's just saying he's just trying to say like women who liked ABBA in the in the 70s are now okay watching this. Yeah, which I'm also I mean, realizing is that's maybe being the, very generous. To yeah, me. maybe that's also what the second wave feminism thing is a reference to. Is just like the fact that she, it was the '70s when she was out getting a lot of sex, which yeah was in alignment with second wave feminism, same time period. Yeah. Um, also, women have gotten a lot of sex through all of history. Not, it's not always been out front in public, but. There have yeah, always I mean, been women who have been getting sex from multiple people to say otherwise is a little silly. Yeah. Birth control really did change that dynamic for, sure. for a lot of women. So I don't I don't think it was just like an imagined shift. I think it I think it genuinely changed people's behavior. Um yeah. I can't say anything to this bitch. Jesus. <laughs> just kidding. Just this kidding. woman has so many opinions. God, who let her on? <laughs> this is show gays, honey. Um, neither of us know how much sex women had before 1970. <laughs> we, we were not born. Um, if you're a woman over 50, write in to us and let us know. <laughs> how much sex you were having pre-1970. How much sex you had pre and post uh, birth control revolution. And also, if you have felt excluded from all musicals that we've covered up until this point. <laughs> and we will send a follow-up episode. Uh, we took a survey of two... <laughs> At least two women. We know at, at least, least two, two women over 50. Uh, Claudia Pugue from USA Today writes, Mamma Mia is worth the price, the ticket price, just to see her belted out. Jump up and down. Oh, this is about Diana. Uh, Diana Ross. Diana Ross in Mamma Mia. As uh, soon as up, I get home. Jump up and down on a bed, dance on platform shoes, and slide down a banister. She not only can carry a tune, but her version of the overwrought The Winner Takes It All is surprisingly moving. Her chemistry with co-star Pierce Brosnan is palpable. The rest of the cast appear to be having the time of their lives. Palpable! I I included this just to remind everybody that USA Today is a shitty news. It's garbage. I feel like somebody You gotta color code your sections. Somebody praising Meryl Streep and Pierce Brosnan's chemistry feels like walking in on your parents. Like, it's like so to like seriously consider them as like like having chemistry together. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, they're holding hands. So yeah. Ooh. Ooh. And then Bob Mondello for NPR wrote, this is kind of long. Uh, the women sing more comfortably than the men. Pierce Brosnan looks like he's in pain during his vocals, but Streep can really belt. Most of them, though, are obviously not trained musical performers. Molly, which means there's a lot of extra pushing and gesticulating. Sometimes no, yeah, that was your point. She's oh, okay. <laughs> you were calling her out. <laughs> Woman having opinions <laughs> yet again. Feminism Thank God we watched something music. for you. <laughs> yes, I begged you to let me watch this movie. Oh, I just could not stop harping on and on. But oh. I wish I wanted to watch Mamma Mia. I said it's a feminist. It's a feminist <laughs> film. And I'm desperate to, to discuss this. <laughs> We're also, this is Molly. It's like, All what? I've like, I ever wanted 12... to do is talk about the second wave feminism. <laughs> We're also getting Molly in her, like, what, eighth hour of Zooms. And so she is, we've fully broken her so down. <laughs> oh my God. 
If you're going to take an ABBA song and turn it into a one-scene Greek tragedy, for instance, you have to build emotion pretty quickly. On the way to the wedding, Donna conversationally tells off an ex-love and 23 seconds later win Grand Opera Territory. This would all be more persuasive if you'd felt any real chemistry between Stroop and Brosnan. Wow, this one says there was no chemistry. <laughs> but how could you? <laughs> They've been singing ABBA songs at each other for two hours. None of this will matter to the 30 million or so baby boomers who made Mamma Mia Ooh. a stage hit. Ooh. Make no mistake, Brides and Grooms notwithstanding, it is the film's older folks who are central. They carouse and act like kids while their children are so conventional and responsible that they are kind of a snooze. It's the Boomer's Revenge, a second childhood complete with an end credits curtain call in goofy outfits. Boomer's Revenge. Oh, yeah. no. Another That's thing we ominous. can blame on the Boomers. Ruining Mamma Mia. Uh, but what are the people We're saying? Inventing Mamma Mia. Um, because I am the one who gets to pull the uh, reviews. I only pull the ones that I typically agree with. So... Uh, everybody loves Mamma Mia. This is what I found out. Um, uh, Aaron gave it five stars and said, we as gay people get to choose our source of serotonin. And this is mine. Uh, Sophie gave it four stars and said, the lay all your love on me scene invented by sexual culture. And uh, Stevie gave it five stars and said, binge. I love the word binge. It's so stupid. So good. Binge. When Meryl and her girlies sang Dancing Queen, my bussy popped so hard, I dislocated both my hips. Fuck everyone who says this movie is bad. I just canceled all my therapy sessions for the next two weeks. I don't need any of that shit. <laughs> two weeks. Just two we weeks. We will not be weeks. defining any of those terms for our mothers. No, specifically not Dancing Queen, because we don't know what it's about. <laughs> Don't understand it. I what does it mean to be Sween? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Molly, I'm going to read your closer. You have written a incredible piece for us. Thank you so much. I finally thought of a closer ahead of time, everyone. Very ahead of time. Which catalog from a contemporary pop star would should be made into a musical in 20 years time? And where should that musical be set? Because just like Sex in the City, New York is the fifth character. Greece is is the the ocean was the fifth character. The yeah the yeah. whatever the eighth character the ninth character. Calakiri Calakiri. I tried to write it pop star to mean it could be an artist or a group. I couldn't think of quite the right word, but just to just to clarify that that it could be an individual or a group that you pick. But by saying 20 years from now, does that imply that it's a contemporary pop star of like now-ish? Correct. So it's a contemporary pop star now, but in 20 years, they will be ABBA old. It'll be ABBA old. We can make a musical out of their music. This is tough because I feel like we we do this like like they just did this with Jagged Little Pill. And I don't know if that I've never seen it. So I don't know if that actually worked or not. You know? It's not bad. I think people like it seems like I have yeah. not seen it so I cannot say but I will ha say I have an opinion about it which is it seems too like deep I just like feel like you as the audience member you know it's music that you know from a thing yeah so mm -hmm. to like imbue it with a meaning that so is so much like, deep meaning yes it's hard for me I guess it's different with Jagged Little Pill because those are those songs are specifically like about a breakup <laughs> very deep yeah on like just like listening to it you understand that so I guess that's a little different but like I don't know I hate when it's like oh well we just felt like we needed to like make a sad song so we chose 
I'm really just talking about Moulin Rouge. Fuck Moulin Rouge. <laughs> um, Moulin Rouge is so good. But I want to say this because I think I was excited to share this already, but also I think Adam needs the confidence boost, which is to say that- He can select women. This is- <laughs> He can talk no, about- No, I wanted to say this is like kind of an obvious question based off of what Mamma Mia is, but part of my inspiration for writing this question, I don't know, Adam, if you remember this, but there was a day in college where we went to get lunch together and on our way to get lunch at Five Guys, we talked about how someone could make a Justin Timberlake musical, and we started to like assign his songs <gasps> to the oh, correct placement I, in I a do musical. Yeah, shockingly, like I remember this. I would never say that today. And it, but I want to be very clear. <laughs> the reason that I remember it is that it was the first day where I hung out with Adam, and I was like, "We vibe. I can definitely be friends with this person." Well, like great. we had hung out together in groups before, she but this was the first bad. conversation where I was like, <laughs> "I was gonna tell you this anyway." This is the first time that I remember hanging out one on one with you and being like, "I get this guy. We, we we're gonna be friends." And look at look at us now. Look at us now. Thirty years old. Canceled crapping. together. Canceled together. <laughs> canceled, live on air. Canceled in her own little caves, wondering what dancing queen is all about. <laughs> Um, hmm. This is hard. I read this earlier and I was like, oh, I should think about this. And then I definitely didn't. I mean, would I, you say hmm. BTS would be a good, you could take the music of BTS as a source of good, um, a, a musical, a narrative thing in 20 years? I think the stuff that they write about is really, yeah, yes, because I think the breadth of what they have in their discography is great. I would never want to hear their stuff translated to English, yeah. which I know is what would happen because they would. I, there's so much meaning. There's so much Korean meaning that they mm -hmm. imbue their songs with that, like you would just not be able to recreate um, by taking it out of what it's set in. But are musicals a big enough de deal in Korea that you could just originate it there and have it be a Korean musical? I mean, I thought about that, but I, I selfishly would want something. For myself that I just you have 20 years to learn Korean. I think that's possible. Yeah. So start now and you'll be uh, halfway so, there in 20 years. associate producer of the well, I could see it. I feel like they're big enough. And I mean, I certainly feel like because now I watch so many clips of musicals from starting this podcast that I get yeah. suggested enough like here's the Korean production of such and such musical that I know mm -hmm. it's at least like a genre there. I could see BTS if they made a musical in Korea being like the thing that would make Korean musicals, like musicals generated in Korea become a thing. You know what I yeah. mean? Like I yeah, could yeah. imagine that reality and then maybe we just watch it with subtitles. I'd be down for that. I was thinking about this earlier though. And I was like, I think what really were, what is one of the reasons Mamma Mia works so well is because when people, people obviously know ABBA's music but it's not it's not to the level where you like know it's not like she had like their voices are like distinctive enough that it's like like I can only hear Whitney Houston singing uh, and I will always love you like to hear anyone else do that iteration of the song that way is like strange all the time. Yeah, I mean, except for yeah. Dolly Parton, but yes. Yes, but like her like, yes, the arrangements of her, but you know what I mean? So. I think that's like one of the reasons like the show works is because you you just know the song as like a package and not like, oh, it's this singer's specific work. And maybe that's just because they're a group. So like you have more uh, variety, I mm -hmm. think maybe. I don't know. 
Um, so I was trying to think of like stars who don't have a specific way that they sing. Like I know that there's the Britney Spears one, but then I think you're just going to be parodying like a Britney Spears style of singing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's hard. It's hard because people get famous because of like the specific way that they sing. I yeah. Think. Yeah. I have an answer. I didn't think about it ahead of time, but I did come up with an answer when you read it just now. I think <laughs> big swing, but I think it would work. I think Katy Perry. And here's why. I was why. genuinely mm. thinking Katy Perry. Because she's currently really on the decline, like probably yes. not going to be a star anymore. And I feel like in 20 years, if somebody goes, remember Katy Perry, everyone's going to go, I oh my did God, like yeah. Katy Perry, right? And they're like, yeah. be nostalgic for it. And I think what you do is you do a fish out of water story. And it's somebody who is born in California. So we start <laughs> with California girls. And wow. they have to Off move the to bat. Like, off the yeah. bat, we start with California girls Save because then they move to like Iceland or something crazy, right? And it's like a story about somebody, but it's a story about like this person was the California girl and then they have to go to like what's the whatever the opposite of California is. It's, it's, learn it's to adapt. legally blonde. It's Icelandic legally blonde. It's Icelandic legally blonde <laughs> yeah. with oh Katy Perry backing. Amazing. And then she brings the, the California plays, to Iceland. The you know? boyfriend yeah. plays um, basketball. So they, he sings swish, swish, bish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one's probably actually not going to make the cut, but maybe, maybe no, that's. It'll be in tryouts though. It'll okay. be in tryouts. Yeah, it'll, it'll be, be in the workshop. It'll be a deep cut. Um, But yeah, and then like obviously the 11 o'clock number is fireworks. Right. That's great. That's great. I'm co-signing that for sure. I'll be she was the one that I was thinking about because also I think she she is one of the few pop stars who like doesn't have a, a recognizable enough voice that you would mm-hmm. be like, oh, it's not Katie singing it. So it's not good. Mm-hmm. And the her songs are so just like not generic, but it is very run of the mill. Mm-hmm. They're pop. They're factory pop. Bubblegum. Yeah. 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 Carly Rae Jepsen. I was going to say Carly Rae is probably the other one, too, that I. But that's just for the gays. That's like ABBA where it's like that is Fringe Festival, honey. That's off Broadway. Yeah, she would have to get rediscovered and like have more of her songs be popular. Because I think the problem now is that not enough people know enough of her her discography for it to have the same. Like ABBA, people knew several songs from ABBA, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I also think like down the road, you could probably get a lot of meat off the um, K- uh, Casey Musgraves train. Oh, I think that I could think, be like a waitress. I yeah. think she would be ah. in the last album was like about her divorce or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. you can use that for like all of your dramatic moments in the show or whatever. But I think a lot of her stuff is really good. And she too doesn't. I think country is a little different, like pop country is like a little mm-hmm. different in that way where you don't think of, I, I don't know. I will also go big swing and say the Pussycat Dolls. Oh my oh. God, 100%. But like a six. So like mm. a tight one act, just like almost concert-like storytelling format yes. about these girls. It's called Five. <laughs> but like the Pussycat Five and Dolls. Nicole. And um, maybe- and what's the setting uh, and the plot? I almost kind of wish that it was like, I think it's a because there's a lot of like, I literally couldn't hear what you said. You, oh, you should what? too I think low it... of a stage whisper. <laughs> <laughs> what if they did it in this place? Santa, Mrs. Just, what are you thinking? I think it's a biopic. 
Because like there is a uh, lot of with the Pussycat Dolls, there was a lot, a lot of backstage of, drama. Yeah, and I think that would be fun. Oh, uh, I I also feel like like it's in a cabaret. Like that's what I was the, thinking. Whatever like, the Pussycat Dolls are a reference to, it's like a girl group burlesque kind of because i was thinking like audience on stage kind of like natasha and pierre mm-hmm. like they are performing and telling the story while you are the audience in like this coyote ugly type venue mm. where it's just coyote ugly with pussycat dolls music hey, that's I'm, what it is i'm in there we got there Roundabout Theater presents Coyote Ugly the Musical. Circle in the Square presents. Circle in the Square presents Shakespeare in the Park. Shakespeare in the Park presents Coyote <laughs> Ugly, <laughs> composed by Nicole Scherzinger. Absolutely. I'm in. Great. Pretty good. Honestly, A plus answers from all of us. I was going to throw in a, like a Kelly Clarkson too, but I think hmm. she's she might be in the same Casey Musgrave vein of like she would have to be involved. And I think like she is but i don't know she's got a new career now so she's a talk show host <laughs> she's talking wanna, so. oh yeah i guess so <laughs> oh yeah great good for her um great does anybody have any final thoughts before we end this two and a half hour recording session well he's like please no more let's i hope you've learned your lesson of making me watch mamma mia but i'm sure you haven't we'll have to do this again next year for mother's day Happy Mother's, Mother's Day to all the mamas. Happy Mother's Day. They were all to all the mamas and mias out there. Mama Mia made me mash my M and M's. Um, Mama Mia mash my M and M's. Mama may I watch Mama Mia next May? Maybe. <laughs> Mama Mia, here I go again. Mama, how can I resist you? Mama Mia. Does it show again? My, my. Just as I miss Sween. Sween. Oh, Sween. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the best revival of a podcast, Showgaze. You can find us on social media. Adam is at Adam Noecker on Twitter. RJ is at RJ Food Rocks on Instagram. And Molly is at Molly Matiny on Instagram. This episode was edited and mixed by Adam Noecker. This has been an Ampliverse production. You can find our show page and more information at theampliverse.com. If you'd like to send us your own takes on the movie we just watched, reach out to us via email and we might read it aloud on the show. Our email is showgazemoviemusical at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to help others find the show. And now, as always, the show must go on. So stick around to hear what we're going to be watching next episode.
Guinevere. Lancelot, the perfect knight. And Sinister Mordred. As memorialized in T.H. White's modern classic and transformed into one of the most loved and successful musical dramas of modern theater by the lyrics of Alan J. Lerner and the music of Frederick Lowe, now brought gloriously to the screen. Camelot.